Hello all, it's Dave. Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to say a couple things. Um, This episode is being brought to you by Black Crown Car Service. Do you take cabs? Do you take town cars, Uber, whatever, Lyft? Do you use one of those little car to goes or, or maybe one of those like rental bicycles to get around? Well, if you're in the Seattle area, may I suggest using Black Crown Car Service? Now, I know there's a lot of different choices these days, and I have a specific reason for preferring Black Crown Car. And that reason is I drove for Black Crown for two years. I only recently left Black Crown, and I left amicably. I just left to come do this stuff. Um, but if it weren't for this and a few other things I've got going on, I'd still be driving a car for them. It's a very good service. Soto, who's on today's show, is the owner of the company. We're going to talk more about it near the end of the episode, but definitely if you're a person who uses a car to get to work, who just needs a car occasionally to get around town, who needs to get to the airport or back from the airport, check out Black Crown. They're very good, so check them out at blackcrowncar.com. There's an app you can download to your phone and call them when you need it. And while you're at it, follow them on Twitter at at RideCrownCar. And if you're following them on Twitter at RideCrownCar, follow us at NosyNobody. We have a Twitter account. We put stuff on there about this podcast, but we also put stuff on there about other things we're doing on this site that you're not necessarily going to find out on the podcast. There's more. There's there's YouTube videos. There's different articles that we're writing. I'm bringing on some more people. Big things are coming in the future. So if you want to find out about those things, follow us at Nosy Nobody. N-O-S-E-Y-N-O-B-O-D-Y. You'll see our little sort of upside down question mark. Looks a little like a nose, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. Let's get into this thing. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to I've Known You Too Long. My guest today is Soterios Robelos, known to many around these parts as Soto. And I'm not actually sure what he prefers anymore, so that's one of the first things we're going to talk about. Now, Soto has been in a lot of bands. Soto was in a band that I put out on my record label called 1007, another band called The Hit. He was in Balance of the World, Everything Went Black. Um, He's been in more. He's currently playing music, and we're going to talk to him about that also. And Soto, on top of all that has been my boss as well. So we'll get into that too. Soto owns a uh, car company called Black Crown Car Service and an app that goes along with it and a number of things. We'll we'll get into all of that as we get through the podcast. Um, I'm going to welcome him in right now. Welcome, Soto. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Hey, so... This is awesome. Well, thank you, man. So with the name, what what do you prefer these days? Soto. I always go by Soto. Like on a professional level, I do Soterios. And I said it right, Soterios? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That was great. I just, you know, I wanted to make sure because, you know, like with Matty, Matt Deese, you know, I wanted to make Mm. sure I had that just right because I don't want to offend people. And you do it. Soterios isn't a name that people run into every day. Yeah. So, I mean, Soto is just a a shortened version. It's like uh, John to Jonathan. Sure. Is all it is. Well, it's supposed to be Sotos, but in Greece, it's actually fairly common. So my mother was just wanting to be different. Took the S off the end of it. Uh-huh. So sometimes I actually go by Sotos. In the Greek community, I often go by Sotos. But uh, Okay. Yeah. So Very Sotos, good. it's just like calling John to Jonathan, same thing. Okay, same good. Thing, so. Well, and I think most people around here know you as Soto. Yeah. Terrius is a mouthful. It's torture. <laughs> well, you've had to live with it your whole life. Yeah, sitting in the doctor's office, the you know, they call you in, and you're like, oh, that's a name that you can't pronounce. That's me. Yeah. Do, do, they, <laughs> how, do they mangle it? Oh, terrible. What's the worst you've heard? Uh... 
Santos. Well, that's that's not Santos. bad. <laughs> I, was, I was living with my buddy Matt Aiello, and uh, we used to get uh, we used to get mail all the time, and it used to be like Santos Rebelcos, and, and it would be bills. I'm like, hey, Santos doesn't live here. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, and that's you don't have to pay a bill if hey, uh, it's not me. Fantastic. Great. All right. Well, yeah. Soto, I've known you too long. Indeed. And like so many of them, I've known you so long, I don't remember when we met. Yeah. I know the time frame. Yeah. It's it's somewhere between 22 to 25 years ago. I know that much. Okay, well, I have to do math to figure that out. And we've established <laughs> that I don't do that so, well at all. Somewhere between like 90 and 93 is when we met, I think. Oh, it's it's 90, 91. By 93... I was in 1007. You're in 1007. We've, we've done the late, recording. Didn't, I think that record came out, uh, 1007 album came out in late 93 or early 94, something like that. Yeah. We went on tour in 94, so... Yeah, yeah, but but yeah. I had known you from going to shows, yeah, and we didn't yeah. maybe know each other very well until no. you were doing 1007, but no. here's what I remember. So I started coming down to Seattle from Bellingham and going to shows, you know, 1988, 1989, but mm-hmm. doing it regularly, like 1990. Yeah. Started doing excursion as a zine. I wasn't even doing a label yet. Then put out the 1007 7-inch, started going to shows at the party hall. So I'm fairly certain the first time I would have run into you would have been at a show at the party hall, 23rd and Madison, 22nd Madison. Could could it have been Washington Hall, 14th and Fur? No. No? You, I I would not have been at any of those shows. I missed essentially every Washington Hall show. I think I went to one, but I, I, for whatever reason, that's not part of my, my memory. But did you not go to party hall shows? No, I went to virtually all the party hall shows well, for the first year. That's what I figured. Yeah. And what you were so, playing in bands back then. Yeah. What band yeah. were you in then? Face first. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. And I was I was racking yeah. my brain and I was going through pictures. I'm like, I gotta have a picture of Face First with Soto playing. <laughs> so if you guys were playing, I mean I saw you guys at the party hall. So I would have met you yeah. at that point. And here's the thing, like I appreciated that you were another dude with long hair. Because I had the long hair at the time. There's some story. We got that's something we got to go into in a little bit too, because that's interesting how the tides have all turned. Because back then it was not cool at all to have long hair and straight edge. Right. It was very so down upon. As a matter of fact, that's one reason I. So I definitely from the very beginning, like when I saw you, and I was like, "That's a dude." That's a straight dude with long hair. It was like, oh, another one. Because there's so, you know, there were a few of us. Every I think yeah. every scene had a yeah. token one or mm-hmm. something. <laughs> so definitely like. Yeah, where I had full on Slayer hair. Just like Tom Mariah, like long. Definitely. It was, yeah, it was not. Yeah. It's not accepted back then. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, it, did you, did you find that you got into a, like people gave you a hard time about it? Yeah. yeah you know, I think, I think I had a lot of uh, hindering on my uh, new friendships. And people were like, oh, whatever. Because, you know, I mean, we're a bunch of 15, 16-year-old kids. Of course, there's a bunch of fucking... It, you you have your insecurities and stuff, and you have your cliques. Re- regardless of the scene or the movement, you're still 15 or 16 years old. And you're still going to have, oh, he's got long hair. He's not cool. You know, there's always going to be that. But the Can't funny thing it. is, the people that, like, I was getting to know at the time, I never heard a, a negative word about you. Like, right. as soon as we started coming down, because it would always be a carload of us, mm-hmm. Bill Baker would be there. You know, yeah. Val Wonder would be with us, Jen Martinez, people like that. And we would just show up in a group and then other groups of people would show up or the bands would show up. And very, very quickly, we just got comfortable around like 10 new people. Right. You know, 
And it seemed like you were one of those people. So I don't know when we can say the first time we were ever like, hey, man, and we were like doing something together, like where we went out, you know, other than just because we happened to both be at a show or like going to the recording studio. But at some some point, I just was like, I've known Soto for a long time, <laughs> even though I didn't really know much about you. Right. Um, so I'm going to just put it on 1990 Party Hall. See, and here's here's an interesting, like when I think back, and I could be wrong, I could be making this up, but I swear the first time I was at a show where I knew who you were and I actually walked up to you and said hi, I feel like I might be mixing shows up, was at 15 and 10.07 at the Uncola in Olympia. Were you at that show? Were you even at that show? I feel like that's the first time I actually walked up and said, hey, man, you know, like, and we chatted. And I feel like that was 15 I, and 1007 10 at the Uncola. Yeah. The do, you remember, Un- do you remember the Uncola? It was well, in the back in an alley in downtown Olympia. Yeah. And then was there like a weird, like kind of loft thing you could sit up yep. on the side? Yeah. Okay. So I was at that show yeah. and I had absolutely already like we knew we, each other right but that was the first time when we were like what's up man yeah yeah, yeah okay yeah. cool long hairs unite yeah long hairs unite <laughs> i remember seeing 15 yeah um i feel like i saw jawbreaker in that same place yeah was, that same show okay jawbreaker 15 1007 shit it was yeah that's fantastic oh, yeah. well which makes sense because 1007 played virtually every jawbreaker show in seattle <laughs> literally except like two until red rocket yeah. until <laughs> until 1007 was god yeah red literally was every Jawbreaker show, except like the Barricade in Columbia City, that one, 1007 didn't play, and then there's one other, but there's like seven Jawbreaker shows that 1007 played in oh, Seattle. Oh, that's crazy. Seattle area. Wait, now, Elis- Barricade- Elizabeth in- was the best. Uh, the garage. That's right. There was a there was a <laughs> Jawbreaker show with 1007 uh, at Elizabeth's house yeah. in uh, in Kirkland. Kirkland, yeah. That was probably the best. But- um. <laughs> Yeah, so sorry, We're, I'm so that's, far off topic already. No, 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 it's, that's fine. That's how we do it. We meander, but um, yes, yes, that's true. What year was that? Let's do that. Ninety two. Which one? The Elsbeths. Elsbeths. Um, ninety three. I I would I would go with early ninety three. So just when, so people yeah. understand, we're talking about seeing Jawbreaker play in a tiny little room in, in someone's a living room. house. Living um, room. The thirty people maybe. And this would have been bivouac. Yeah, right after Bivouac, right before 24-Hour hour Revenge. Yeah. Um, so. Well, no, it might have been after 24-Hour Revenge Therapy. Now that I think about it, time-wise. You're right, because I bought... I was listening to that record before I, I bought the record. Yeah. So they played that show after the Redmond, the Redmond Firehouse show. Yeah. It was the same. Yeah, like Those the day after. Awesome. Okay. The day after, they played Elizabeth's House. And I bought 24-Hour Revenge Therapy at the Redmond Y the night so before. So it sounds like, so, you yeah. know, we're bragging a little bit. Oh, dude, we are. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> it was a hell of a show. It was good. Those were the days <clears throat> for us. Oh, yeah. Okay, so so what we do on this show then is we figure it out, and then we go back in time, and I try to figure out who you are and where you came from and, and just why. Because everybody yeah. everybody that I know from that world, there's a why. Oh, of course, right? It's, if yeah. you were into that stuff yeah. at that time, so you know before before it became so mainstream. Yeah. There's there's a story. There's a story as to yeah. what what happened to you. So I'm gonna I like to figure that out. Okay. So but just to recap, so we've nailed that we knew each other already at the fifteen show. Right, at the fifteen show. That's probably the first time that we actually talked. 
as friends. Okay. Because I remember walking up to you, and I remember you had this is when you're wearing your bandana on your head and stuff and all that. Wait, wait, I remember the whole thing. Like, so I think you might be the first person that's messing with me on the show about wearing a bandana on your head. <laughs> I'm not messing with you. I'm wearing one of oh, your wrists. <laughs> you're you're wearing on. one of your wrists. But you need to understand when you wear a bandana on your wrist, people go, "Of course." When <laughs> when when I wore a bandana on my head, people were like, "What the what the fuck is that guy doing?" You definitely <laughs> had a skate rock look to you. That okay. Yeah, now yeah. I'm now I'm happy again because yeah. that's <laughs> what I was go. going for. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I wasn't comfortable. I was just never comfortable with any of yeah. it. I, like I, for some reason, I felt like that was a little bit of like armor, you know? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Pulled yeah. my hair out of my it. face and yeah, I could I could handle a show. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, the first time I met you, I mean, it had to have been party hall, I right? I mean, it had, yeah, I mean, that yeah. was such a hub. I, I probably yeah, face okay. first, because you were in the band and James was singer, right? Mm-hmm. James Stern, Spanky. We call him Spanky. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to like you know offend, but that's what we knew him by. Yeah. And then he got into Undertow, yeah, at some point after that. And was that the end of Face First, or was he doing Double Duty? He was doing Double Duty, but it was also the decline of Face First. I think we were all tired. We all wanted to do different things. Yeah, I was. Definitely really into Feel the Darkness Poison idea, um, but I was still sober. So I was definitely wanting to venture in on the metal end of hardcore. That's, you know, Integrity was out, you know, that's, that, it was my calling because that's where I came but from. But then metal. you went to 1007. Yeah. So he went to Undertow, yeah. you went to 1007. Yeah. So, yeah, I went, that's right. Yeah. So I went to 1007. And that, that is was, not that was, hardcore or metal. No, that's Matt Matsuoka's pop, pop punk, punk band. <laughs> it was very unintentional. I think what happened was Eric Kinder, good buddy of mine still to this day, um, he he was the drummer in Face First. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Matsuoka asked Kinder to play drums for 1007. At that point, they needed a new bass player uh, probably like two, three months in, I think. Well, Drexel like and Matt Knowles, Chris Drexel and Matt Knowles were the drummer and the bass player. Right. And they moved to Bellingham. Right. And I ended up in a band with them called Bull Goose Looney. Oh, wow. And then basically, as one, that, was, that was right before I moved down. And mm-hmm. then uh, for like a year before I moved down. And as soon as that happened, Matt had to put together another version of 1007. So I think that's where you and, and yeah. Kinder came in. Yeah. So, I mean, Chainsaw Orchestra, the first 1007 album, had already been out on Deadbeat Records, I think. Wasn't it Deadbeat? Yeah. Yep. And I loved it. Like, Kinder and I both. We, I mean, we we rocked that in the in the cassette player and in his Dodge Omni on the way to practice. That's a fantastic record, start to finish. Easily. Perfection. I mean, it was just And no one so knows good. about it. Nobody knows it's about so, it. There are songs in there so, that still blow my mind. Yeah. Lyrics that are just like, uh, yeah. yeah, anyway. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, you know, I have this long-term goal of raising Matt up as this like icon, you know, <laughs> it's great songwriter. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, we just used to wear that tape out and, and just, uh, so when he joined the band, I was stoked for him. Soon after that, they needed a bass player and Matt and Kinder asked me to join. It made sense. So I love that band and I loved, I love being in bands with Kinder. He's an awesome drummer and. Matt wrote some killer songs, so I joined immediately. I didn't even, yeah, yeah, there was no audition or anything. It's just like, here, you learn these songs and shut the practice. We practiced, and it was fine. It was great. It was awesome. And, um, yeah, I mean, that band to me, like, I mean, I've always been super open. Like, I just love music. But, I mean, I certainly, again, as a teenager, you have your what's cool, what's not cool, whether you want to admit it or not. There's always something. Yeah. You want to be a part of something. You you might battle yourself with it, but you know, have some internal battles with that and stuff, but you still do it. So like, I think with 
the pop punk thing it was just it was just super fun i just let it go you know it was just like that was i i was definitely a metalhead but i still i still had 1007 <laughs> you know it's like and, and it, it didn't a- necessarily make sense but it did to me it was it's fucking good it's just good it was a good and, time yeah, that's all that mattered and, and matt so, thought you fit yeah it was great and i you know when i look at bands i mean like great bands they're not uniform anyway i mean there's clearly individual personalities like the damned or even cheap trick or something like that you know like i mean sure. you look it's everybody's their own thing they're you know they don't sound anything like their influences you know and things like that i think that's important but and um, i think i actually think it's important I mean, give matt a lot of credit and i talk about it full time but jeff ganson was a big big part of what 1007 was also oh my god yeah and it, and he was always yeah. there he just was kind of a quiet guy yeah. Yeah. you know kind of unassuming and i forget that like through all these permutations of 1007 it's jeff yeah. Yeah. So that that needs to be said oh, out yeah. loud for that, sure. Because as good as all those records are, yeah. they are also good because Jeff was yeah. there, and he had that weird guitar uh, tone. I mean, because he was playing through a PA, so he had that really fuzzy. <laughs> but it became a trademark at ten oh seven, and he was really good with his chords. And yeah, you're right. I mean, he was listening to some great music at the time too to influence him. And uh, so yeah, I still chat with him every now and then. Nice. Oh, yeah. I haven't talked to him yeah. for a long time. He's got a Tesla. I've been meaning to get up to his house to test drive it. Actually. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's so. a big deal. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. He's he's uh he's a nice guy. Um. But yeah, ten oh seven, man. That was it. Was just a blast to me. Like just being able to play that. I love I love a good pop song. Like to this day. Like I love. I appreciate like everybody's like oh get to the deeper tracks. It's like I appreciate that too. But I also appreciate like what's out in the open. Well, people look right over because there's such a subculture. They, they don't even see. It's like, oh, it's on the radio. I don't listen to it. It's like, dude, have you actually listened to Stairway to Heaven? Like, can you write that? <laughs> or whatever it may be, you know? Sure. I mean, it's, I appreciate a good, like, like, written song. Like, like yeah. well, okay. So, whatever. I mean, what's her name? Um, The blonde chick. Oh, that one. <laughs> no, Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah, right, right, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like, like Saturday Night Live did that Swift to mean joke about i missed that one you know what's funny is i always watch saturday night live and i did not see that one i always catch up with it and i haven't seen that one yeah it's it's like a you know it's like a drug i can't remember if it was you took it if you got caught by taylor swift's music or (laughs) if if it was just to be able to get over the emotional impact of realizing that you like taylor swift it was a very funny bit but that's very very poppy and it's that's what is out there in the country right now, yeah. or at least has been. Is that what you mean, or do you mean sort of? I mean, I think what's sad about that, the like the mainstream pop, it's not the actual songs. It's it's just how the songs are written. It's not an artist thing. But I think that's the, that's the downer part of it, right? Okay. Because I mean, I mean, you have. I was just having this talk with my drummer yesterday at band practice. We're talking about uh, Bruce Springsteen. You know, like it t- taking six months to write a record and just every nuance, every chord, every lyric is just like, no, it's not right. Just him freaking out in the studio. Right. For six months, you know, it's just, and then you got Kanye, <laughs> you know, like I'm a genius. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? This like, is perfect already. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, you just have these comparisons. You're going back and forth like that. And you're looking at, you're listening to Born to Run. And then you got, you know, whatever Kanye is putting out. And uh, not that you can't appreciate what Kanye's put out but yeah and I'm gonna be honest man I don't really know like <clears throat> what is the I guess I just I went right to Taylor Swift because that's just what you hear like in commercials and yeah, like the pop. few videos that are it's shown yeah. anymore on yeah. on a screen that yeah. you can see other than you know but Car- Carly Rae Jepsen that's another one right, that's right, been right. a really big <laughs> I like Carly Rae Jepsen 
Well, there you go. There you I go. Totally like, like that's her. very poppy, yeah. very yeah. like contrived, so, but yeah. it gets catchy. People, yeah. you know. Yeah, and you know, I love a good written song, and and whether whether it's not cool enough for you or something is something beside the point. That's that's you and your personal preference. You sure, know, and like you were like saying, that, like so. you were into metal. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure hey, we go man, right from Carly. I got into right. hardcore because I was open-minded and I thought <laughs> I thought hardcore was that calling. I'm not going to say it wasn't, but you you thought I'm you not, thought that hardcore was open-minded? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's why that's why I was attracted to hardcore. So, I mean, you, we were talking earlier, uh, man, we're all over the place. Yeah, yeah. We're well, talk- well, well, I'm going to rein it in in a minute. <laughs> so, you were you were talking about like where I came from, I guess. Um yeah, I mean, I was a metalhead, like full, like full on metalhead early, like nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. Okay, well, like, wait. Let, let's if we're gonna go back, let's go back. Okay. So, um, where were you born? Seattle, first you're, hill, first hill. Okay, yeah. so you've been in the northwest yeah. in Seattle your whole life. Yeah, from when I was three years old to somewhere my childhood. I lived in Chicago. Oh, we moved to Chicago, and then my parents got divorced, so I was coming back and forth, and moved to New moved to Las Cruces, New Mexico, for a while, for a year and a half, two years maybe. But this is when that. you're a little kid. Yeah, yeah, like twelve years old, something oh. like that. Um, oh, okay. Moved to Bellingham, lived in Bellingham in fifth grade, and went to Roosevelt. Yeah, you're kidding. No, yeah, hey neighbor. So, uh, um, yeah, that I, was <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> Let's see, lived in Everett. So when did you when did you settle into uh where did you go to like junior high? Jeez. Junior high. Where did I go junior high? So I did I had never I, had I any up, idea okay. you were moving around like this. Oh, I thought you were a solid northwest Ooh. like like oh. rooted person. Grew up very dysfunctional, my friend. Let's see. Um we moved Well, that's so all many important times. to this story. Yeah. Um where did I go to junior high? I went to What about grade school? Roosevelt no, wait, Roosevelt wasn't, Jesus Christ. Um, great school. I started in Chicago, Our okay. Lady of Lords. It was a Catholic school. Um, then I went Did to- Did you have to like dress up? Yeah. You had a uniform? Yeah. Light blue, light blue uh, shirt and dark blue pants. Just all boys? No, boys and girls. Boys and girls separated on the playground. Oh, you couldn't play with the girls? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my what? first girlfriend was in kindergarten, Eileen. Ooh, what did to, that do Took her to Burger King for a date. Wait, in like kindergarten in kindergarten what? you took a girl on a date mm-hmm. to Burger King. Yeah. And that was a date. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, my dad drove us. You said, I want to take a girl on a date. I kissed her on the lips. This is a big deal to me. You're <laughs> this is a big deal to everybody. Your yeah, times are different back then. <laughs> are, are you six years old? Five. You're five. Five. You're like, I like that girl. Uh-huh. I'm gonna kiss her on the lips. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get some fries. And we're going to play on the Burger King playground. Do they even have playgrounds at the Burger There's King? There's no yet? playground. This is at night. This is it, it was dark, and my dad took us in his '69 Impala. And did he sit there with you? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so you didn't get to go. We just held the... hands, talked, and you know, did normal kid things. But we were on a date. So <sighs> wow. Yeah. And then, yeah. so when did you kiss her? Uh, every day at school. <laughs> at the Catholic <laughs> she was school, my, she was my girlfriend. At yeah. the Catholic school, yeah, nobody knew. So how did you do it if you guys were separated at the play on the playground? The classroom, classroom, we all sat together and stuff. Sat in group circles. Okay. Coloring circles. We had a little thing that was called cozy corner. It was like, <laughs> it's kindergarten. Is, I am having is, a this hard is sounding time. Sounding so bad. Right no, now. it's not. I am having a hard. Like I literally, so, like yeah. I'm 
while you were describing that, I was thinking about my fourth and fifth grade, but it's <laughs> kindergarten. There's cubby holes. You guys might lay down yeah. on the mats to take a yeah. nap. I mean, you're only there I for a half day. I don't feel like we hit it though. It just, just like we didn't hide it from anybody. Well, it's like you were such, if you, you're I such was, little kids at that point, I people probably don't take it serious. Yeah. I mean, it was just like a peck on the lips. We weren't like, okay. Nothing, so nothing obscene. So fifth grade yeah. girlfriend with a legitimate date and uh-huh. kissing. Like yeah. that's you pretty much you've set a a high bar for anyone else to get over. I was I was watching a lot of Fonzie. <laughs> <laughs> you watch a lot of Happy Days. Yeah, Happy Days. Okay, and um, were you in that? Uh, were you in that school up through? I mean, so like, how long did you stay there? Our Lady Lords. I was there from kindergarten to third, from third to fifth grade. I changed schools in Chicago. I went to Athena Cone, which is an all Greek private school in Greek Town. Oh no! How so, now? Did you have to break it off with the girl? When you I left? Yeah, I honestly don't, don't remember. I, I, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> you don't know how that went? So, <laughs> yeah. um, and then- I s- wish I stayed in touch. That would have been cool. <laughs> well, maybe she'll get in touch after yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> so then you went to an all-Greek private school. Yeah. So what was that like? Um, It was awesome. Uh, We didn't learn anything. There was, uh, man, that was, it was the funnest school I ever went to. It you didn't int- learn anything? No, we didn't learn anything. I learned sign language. I, so well, well, I mean, nothing academic minus a couple like cool things. Here's the thing. Here's what I learned in Greek school. Okay, things that you should be taught to you at any school, meaning like sign language. Um, you know, obviously Greek. We we literally spoke Greek all day. The teachers, uh, there was only one teacher in the class or in the school that spoke English. Well, the rest of them can barely speak. English. Did you grow up speaking Greek? Yeah, you speak Greek? Not anymore. No, you can't do no. it now. Not, not, not yeah. really. No, because I recognize it. it. Yeah, I recognize it. Like when it's spoken, um, I can identify some of it. I, I can say, "Aferisto, uh, thank you very much." That means thank you. You know. But at so at so. eight years old, you were speaking fluently in Greek yeah, at school. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, um, and you spoke English just as well. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's weird to me to think that a person can lose a language. I know, right? Yeah. It's yeah, it's super weird, but I think that had a lot to do with me being rebellious at the time. I didn't appreciate it. Um, I think I tried to lose it a lot. Like, okay. I mean, my 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 father spoke Greek around the house all the time on the phone. If he was on the phone, he was speaking Greek at the body shop. He ran a body shop in Chicago. He was speaking Greek, and you know, he was just uh, here when he was driving his taxi. He was speaking with his Greek buddies in Greek. It was always it was always around me, but I just there was just that. That's not me here. I'm over here. Okay. That's my family, but I'm over here kind of a thing. Like I've always, I have this perspective where I've always tried to keep myself separate and do my own thing. I suppose, I guess it's where hardcore comes in. Okay. So, but we'll get, we'll get, we're going to get there. So, (laughs) so, uh, now you said you thought you went to Roosevelt in the fifth grade. Yeah. Fifth grade. You were in Bellingham. You went from Chicago to Bellingham. No. So there's a gap there because yeah, I went from. God, I guess maybe I guess Greek school is third grade, so maybe I think I think I changed mid year at Our Lady of Lords. Okay, I went over to Greek school because yeah, so because we went to Las Cruces, New Mexico first. That was eighty three, eighty four. That right. I know because that's peace of mind. Iron Maiden was out. I remember listening to these records in New Mexico as they came. Well, out. you were remember in grade school. Yeah. Well, how how old are you? So forty one. 
I'm just trying to I'm just trying to make this work in my head because you're just a couple years younger than it's me. Get my mom on the phone with uh, no, no, it's fine. But so okay, so <laughs> she'll know these years. Well, this is this is the key though, since this music obviously is a huge part. Like, how do you get introduced to this music in in grade school? Right. I had an older brother, um, but I think it was just a re- in Chicago. It was very prominent at my school. I mean, everybody just was listening to Kiss. Everybody was listening to Thin Lizzy. Um, Things like that, and it just kind of at the Greek school or at the Catholic school, both. Okay, both. I mean, it was everywhere. It was just like, I mean, Kiss and Thin Lizzy. You just had those Cheap Trick. That was another one. Mm -hmm. I I reference them a lot because that was, you know, I had I had three first records, and it was Kiss Destroyer, Thin Lizzy Jailbreak, and and Cheap Trick Lava Budokan, and that was and you got those three records through Columbia House on eight track. My mom let me pick them. They were eight track. They came in the mail. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so. those were the free ones. What? So what did you have to get to finish out the? Uh... Well, I don't know. She just let me pick three. Oh, and then she. Yeah, my she mom. Got yeah, her yeah, yeah. Probably like Linda Ronstadt or something. Yeah, yeah. Which is also good. That's <laughs> <laughs> So um, I don't. Do people still do that? Do people, does <laughs> anyone know they... what we're talking about? <laughs> you would get free. You would get to pick free uh, music would... for a penny or a dollar, yeah. Yeah. but you had to agree to let mm-hmm. them send you. A new release every month, yeah, and if like you didn't want to keep it and price. pay the full amount, you could yeah. ship it back. And it was actually a pretty brilliant business model because people wouldn't ship them back. Yeah, yeah. And they'd get stuck. They'd get billed for it. It was a lot harder to cancel those days. You couldn't just log to... online and click cancel or anything. Yeah. Exactly. But you but you started off mm. getting a bunch of cool free mm-hmm. music. Yeah. And I did it a couple times in oh, my yeah. life and got good music. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, did, I think the last time I did it was in the, I was in the hardcore mm-hmm. and they were still doing it with CDs. And I think I, yeah, you just do it under different names. I think the last name I used was Kamala F Meyer. F Meyer <laughs> being Fred Meyer. <laughs> Kamala being, being a screechy, like Kamala, uh, it had something to do with the Screeching Weasel song. I can't remember. But yeah, I was like, uh, Kamala F. Meyer. I think I was listening to Screeching Weasel and like Fred Meyer. There was Kamala yeah. and the Carnivores. On Kamala the, and the Carnivores. Lookout, yeah, yeah, yeah. On yeah. Lookout. I did it in the 90s and I got uh, um, New Order uh, Substance double CD. I can't oh, remember anything nice. else that I got. I can't remember what I got that last time either. I remember Hanoi Rocks, Two Steps from the Move was one of them because I loved that record as a kid. I wanted to revisit it, but that's, I don't remember the other ones. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so it just, music was just, time no, no yeah. one came up to you and like, you didn't listen to music and then they played something for you and went, oh God, it was just always there. Well, yeah. I mean, it was always there. My brother had a, it was, had a huge impact on me uh, as I got older. I mean, he, he saw the direction I was going and he was listening to metal too. So when I couldn't drive yet, he was. He's six years older than me, so then I started going to shows with him. Right. So it had a huge part of it. So what was Um, the first live music that you saw? Loudness at the Moore Theater. Really? 1985. Okay. Yeah. So you were were here. Yeah. See, that's why I was saying 83 and 84. But I used to come, you got to remember, my parents were divorced when I was four, so that's something I kind of left out. I was still coming back to Seattle all the time. Oh, uh, okay. So I was always, I would, yeah, I was living with my dad in the summertime, basically, here in Seattle. Got it. In many ways, I didn't skip a beat out of Seattle, so. Okay, so when does someone, I mean, because at some point you had to hear punk rock music. You had to hear, because it wasn't as easy to get at the time, right? right? So mm-hmm. how do you how do you find punk rock music? <laughs> 
Uh, same way everybody on this show has apparently DRI. <laughs> DRI. Okay. DRI. <laughs> crossover. Come on. It's like it's spelled out for you. <laughs> it's like I that can't is... believe the, the influence of DRI is insane. That is the, you know, that's the gateway. That is the Golden Gate Bridge right there of hardcore and metal. And just, you can't avoid it. Um, like, so. Well, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people get there with skateboarding too. Was mm-hmm. that something that was that you were into? Yeah, I got into skateboarding for a while. Yeah, I got a uh, Palom Peralta Rat Bones. Nice. I, I got that by my uncle used to build pizza shops and sell them, and so my uncle built. You know, the there's a Romeo's Pizza over here on Olive Way. Mm-hmm. That was um, he built that one. It was the first Romeo's, and then he sold it off, and then I, they kept it. It became a chain. Yeah. So, but yeah, I helped build that one sweeping manual labor uh paid me 60 bucks cash i went the second uh second time around in the u district bought a used palom Peralta. you bought a used one because yeah. 60 bucks isn't 60 enough. bucks is all you're gonna get i mean yeah you, know, you need yeah. 120 to 140 yeah, to get to a brand new setup to build out a setup yeah so but, but used i could see a used yeah was it was it pretty beat up oh it was beat the shit if you paid 60 what, had, what, what kind had, of trucks what kind of trucks independent trucks and these are what yeah. wheels do you know um i don't remember the wheels I remember I went through a few different sets of wheels. Okay. And I remember it had the, Did you like uh, soft wheels or hard wheels? I liked hard wheels. Okay. For street skating yeah. or did you skate like ramps and stuff? Oh, uh, street. I was okay. strictly street. Yeah, I was terrified of ramps. It was <laughs> so clumsy. The yeah, and it had it had the it had rails on it, which is so nerdy. I had to take those off immediately. I I, I like skated with rails. Yeah. I would still I, yeah. I still don't a lot of people mind do, rails. yeah, yeah, and I get it now. But at that that time and point, it was kind of a poser thing for that <laughs> moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, so I had to rip those off. But well, we had a yeah. uh, I had a skateboard shop mm-hmm. from 1987 to 1989 in Bellingham. That's crazy. So. And we sold. I mean, we couldn't keep rails in stock. Like it oh. was just standard. But yeah. I but I I know that it it you know it would come and go whether it was cool or not. Right. And then it went away again. But so the whole time we had that shop open, man, we were drilling holes in people's boards for the rails. Like that was like every day part of the job. Put the rails on the boards. Right. Uh, so yeah. right. so I got yeah I got a little into skateboarding. That's when uh, with the help of like bomb shelter videos and being home alone by myself a lot because my brother and my father. I was living with my dad at the time. He was a cab driver. I'd come home at like four a.m. Mm-hmm. Same with my brother. He was driving a cab. My brother was, he was driving, driving a cab also. Yeah, way early on, and his he started at eighteen. And so, oh wow. <clears throat> so I was home alone a lot, living over here in Inner Bay, and uh, so fortunately we had bomb shelter videos. So okay, so skateboarding, so. DRA, bomb shelter videos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you reading Thrasher magazine. I, not Thrasher. I was doing. I was doing local zines. I would go oh. to um, Time Travelers. Yeah, Fallout. So Time Travelers was a very. We haven't talked about Time Travelers very much. Yeah. It was a very cool it's store on Second Avenue, yeah. um, and it's built up now down there so differently that you can't even really see the spot that it was. I th- I, I, I believe they built up the block. That block is untouched. That's, that's really a, that's the same corner as Scariaki, the teriyaki place, right on on Second and. Uh, but here's Pike. the thing, though. It had a <sighs> parking lot, and there are no parking lots down there anymore. No. No, I don't think there's a parking lot, but the building itself is still there. There's, there's some, and there's some sketchy history to it too. There's the teriyaki place just got, but the owner just got busted for buying like truckloads of iPads <laughs> and, and trying to, trying to hide them, conceal them by, this happened like two weeks ago. Under like, the, under the teriyaki. <laughs> he's carrying them out in white buckets. Like, in you know, they were just investigating like, come on, man. Like, yeah, was just, yeah. And, but it was, anyway, it was attached. It became the Doc Martin store, I think for a while. Oh. I think 
Michael Ann and I, last time we were downtown, driving around that area, we were trying to spot it, and I had to look up online and see what the actual address yeah. of it was. And it just it just doesn't seem... My memory of, of all downtown Seattle, yeah. the landscape has changed The so awning much. for Time Travelers is still there. Oh, really? The last time I remember... Now, I'm going to go by there tonight and check it out. <laughs> or was it on 3rd? Yeah. No, it was on 2nd. It was on 2nd, Definitely right? on 2nd, yeah. I remember right. it very well. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you can see like the silhouette of the lettering, like Time Travelers, at least last time I looked. No, I know so, what you're talking yeah. about, but I don't think that's been there for years. And I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> if it's... It, you got to snap a picture gotta, of it yeah, and send it to send me. It we'll to put you, it yeah. on the blog of this because <laughs> that is that is awesome. So, Regardless, I know the location. So whatever's there, I will send you right. a photo Now, of, Time yeah. Travelers, I bought so. my first record from mm-hmm. my record collection that was actually my like once i had that record mm-hmm. i had to have more records i bought a uh, uh the minor threat seven inch the last one the three song right and i never bought any skate stuff there though but i bought t-shirts and music there all the time yeah. and then there was fallout but you were closer to time travelers so whereas a lot of people are going to say fallout well time travelers was your jam there was there was just <laughs> two spots to go to time travelers and fallout it wasn't one or the other time travelers was probably more responsible for my zine reading they were readily available there. There's one called NPC, not not politically correct, I think. Okay. And the reason I picked it up, it had a metal where I was coming from. This is the era of crossover. Like, yeah. This is like punks and metalheads unite, motherfucker. It was like this, like the the cover was this terribly drawn picture of a metalhead shaking hands with like the skater dude with the mohawk with an X on his hand. And well, I remember. I know that artwork. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I probably saw it too. Yeah. And so. And it said "Unite or Die" on it. Yeah. And so, and I was writing that on all my school folders at the time. Like, that's it, man. You know, like metalheads and punks, man. You know. Were you going to some of the same shows that like Ron Gardepi was going to? Not. He quite, talks not, about not Gorilla yet. Gardens and Soldier, right. And that. I was very close. I was really close. Literally, like blocks away, and driving by them close. Okay. I never actually went in. It's so I regret that. So Were much. you too young, or just too, didn't... like I didn't fully understand it yet? Like so. Like Gorilla Gardens, there was there was one point where it's uh it was in Fremont where there's a Fremont storage now like at the end of the Fremont Ridge, so I, at the time I was living in Interbay with my brother and my dad, so we would drive by there and I remember GBH was playing there one night and there was like all these punks outside I'm like oh I want to go so bad, and it's just <laughs> but I didn't quite understand it. My brother wasn't he my brother never crossed over into that like he was still metal right. and so I was already kind of veering off on my own thing and did he give you a hard time? No, not at all. No, okay, he was but cool we just that. never just never happened, you know and. One of those things. So, you know, I, I was still 13 at best or something, you know, at that time. So I, w- I wasn't going to be able to go by myself. Yeah. So I, but I remember driving by those Gorilla Garden shows being so bummed that I couldn't go, you know, and, and, uh, or just not able to go, I guess. I, it wasn't, wasn't a thing. It wasn't reality to me for, for whatever reason. So, right. But so you're 13 and you're skateboarding and you're into <laughs> punk rock and you're yeah. into, you're into crossover yeah. metal. Yeah. But you just can't get out into it. You can't get out and experience it because you're just too young. Were yeah, you not allowed just, to kind of go out on your own? No, I just, I guess I didn't desire the show part of it that much. I mean, I was really into the zine portion of it. I mean, it's because of those zines that I discovered Minor Threat, same thing, last three songs, seven inch. So I discovered Minor minor Threat. I'm like, holy, and here's something. I never drank ever at the time. And I didn't, I just didn't care. And I was going to a lot of parties really young with my brother and stuff and just seeing everybody hammered. And your brother would take you to parties when you were that young? Oh, yeah. 
crazy. Why, why was an 18, 19 year old guy taking his younger brother to parties? He just said we were metalheads. Thought it was cool, man. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. So these were total metal parties. Oh yeah. So they like, were just like forced check in, out like this forced kid. entry would host these parties, like just metal church, like all all these crazy like metalhead parties, and. I, I had a blast. Like I would love I loved going to these shows or parties, but seeing everybody just like blitzed and I didn't relate to that portion of it because I just didn't care. To me, it was the discovery of the music, you know. And so with the the drinking didn't have any place in it at the time. I wasn't looking for an outlet of release. Um, at least I didn't know it yet. <laughs> so coming right. from my, you know, um, there was a lot there was a lot of shit going on at home, and so. A, a what lot do, of what do you mean? And I, I mean whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, there was a lot of shit going on in the sense that you, you know, like drinking was definitely a part in my family and blah 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 and and just restrictions and this and that um, or lack of restrictions on one side of the family. It's just like there was either like so between your mother and your father, one was strict and one was not so divided. Yeah. Okay. And so on one side, I could do whatever the fuck I want. I didn't even have to go to school. I didn't have to do shit. On the other side, it was like I can't even watch a movie with the fucking f word in it. And so, well, that's and not, on one that... side of the family, I can have a subscription to Playboy when I was seven, and all this other weird. Yeah, that's that's another story. Is that now? That's a <laughs> that's that, a... that's not a random example. Just no. pulling something out of the air. That's real. That's real. You got. Yeah. I was the coolest kid on the block in Chicago. I used to trade Transformers and GI Joes for centerfolds all the time. <laughs> wow. Okay, now hold on a minute. You got copies of Playboy that came to your house with your name, my name on it, on yeah. the actual label. Yeah, that's when I lived with my mother. Yeah. Okay, let me go back here. No, all I did was ask her because I had a huge curiosity. I loved girls, women. Yeah, well, you went on a date, a kissing date in kindergarten to Burger King. So here's the thing. Okay, so here's the thing. This sounds terrible. And and would I do would I do this to my son? Like if I had a kid, probably not. But let me. There's there is some sanity to this story. What? Sure. I mean, I was. She was very like. She, I mean, she sat me down with encyclopedias on sex and everything and taught me thoroughly. She's like, hey, you know, you, lust is a great thing. Just don't be a pig about it. So, you know, you can't just go up to these women and just say, hey, you're fucking hot. Like, you know, there was a way to treat women. To, was, so your mom, so, like, taught you about respecting women. Right, yeah. But it didn't mean that I couldn't appreciate that either. My se- I, I didn't mean I had to, like, suppress my sexuality or anything like that. And Okay. Which is weird saying that about a kid that, oh, it's gross. But anyway, that's, <laughs> Look, but you know, but it's a natural thing. At least for me, it was. We're talking about so, the 70s and into the 80s. Yeah. Clearly, it's so different from what things are like no, now. It's no. like an alien planet. Right. Like people were both more strict about certain things and wildly open about yeah. other things like yeah. you're saying. So don't, I, you know. Yeah, it's just about treating people how they want to be treated. That's sure. There's, you know. Y- but so anyway, you yeah, you so. asked for a subscription to Playboy, yeah, for like yeah. a birthday? Uh, no, I just uh, I think I had a huge crush on Elvira, and <laughs> I was I kind of opened the doors of all kinds of things. <laughs> you had a crush on Elvira in grade school? <laughs> oh yeah, like whenever, yeah. Okay. So I don't know. Actually, I don't know if that started out with that, but yeah, I was just really curious. And so curious. you you now 
Wow. So that's the kind of thing that would get someone locked up today. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> totally. It'd be a BuzzFeed story with a million likes and shares. And, yeah. yeah. It'd be a disaster. And this poor lady would be like, I didn't mean anything. But yeah. I was just trying to be a teacher. <laughs> Teach reality. <laughs> it would be so blown out of that. Everybody would like do these online. But look, like you said, these kids are like <clears throat> trading. They're trading their toys, which are probably their prized mm-hmm. possession, for a piece of paper with a picture yeah. on it that people like, oh, what did we do before the internet? You know what we did before the internet? Yeah. We traded our prized possessions mm-hmm. for a glimpse of a naked lady. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's a different uh, world. Yeah, it's, it's definitely. Ah. <laughs> uh. It was a fun time, man. That was great. I mean, it was just like, it was simple. It was just like, it, there was no rules. It's just like, don't be a dick. That's it. That's it. That's all there was. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah. I can't remember how we segged back into that. <laughs> well, you were, you were going to metal parties. Yeah. I was going to metal oh, parties. Oh, no, you said yeah. on one Okay. No. So, you said yeah. on one side, you had very, very strict parenting. On the mm-hmm. other side, you had incredibly lax parenting right. and it caused some sort of a like a feedback. Right. There was no stability in my, my, my home life at all. It was just like, Oh, we got to move all the time. And just, you know, just things, there was no, there was no structure whatsoever. So can I propose so. that whenever it was, you found out about straight edge mm-hmm. and, imp- and decided to take that on for yourself. Yeah. It was like you being able to impose a type of stability on your life. Oh, absolutely. Discipline. Yeah. That you that you hadn't had in yeah. in like because everything was so chaotic. You're moving, yeah. you're having to live under different rules all the yeah. time that are mm-hmm. so different. Okay, so when does that happen? Uh, soon after. So we're talking about time travelers and stuff. So now I'm already reading these zines. Mm-hmm. I've discovered Minor Threat, and I'm like, this is amazing. Like this is great. Like these guys don't drink and they're aggressive. It's just fucking awesome. And Supposedly, just, <laughs> Ian doesn't drink. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, Who knew? The general premise was there, and uh, see, that's that's what I don't like about Straight Edge is all these fine, <laughs> all the fine print bullshit. It's like, come on, uh-huh. get over it, get over yourself. You know, well, like, you like, like talked, you like eighties Straight Edge. Well, th- here's the thing, dude. Like any any time you overanalyze anything like that, you're doing it wrong, right? It's like I get. I don't, I don't I analyze. Stuff. I don't like if somebody doesn't like. I agree with you. Like on the faction era of Straight Edge, awesome. It's that like, was how I found out about that's, it. It's, but that's the whole thing. It's like okay, these guys don't go out and deliberately get wasted. That is Straight Edge. And the point like, that what? he was saying is, that in case yeah. anyone hasn't listened to every episode, yeah. is that the I remember reading an interview with the band of Faction, which was Steve yeah. Caballero's band. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they said they were straight edge. And the interviewer said, well, you smoke cigarettes. I've seen you smoke cigarettes. Yeah. And they said, well, we don't get high. Yeah. Like we're, we're straight edge. You could be straight edge and smoke cigarettes. And at the time when I read that, I was like, hell yeah, I smoke. Like, and I didn't <laughs> smoke. Like every once in a while, I'd like smoke a clove cigarette with like my girlfriend right. in a Burger King. Right. Which is weird. <laughs> I actually did get caught smoking cloves with my girlfriend wow. by her father in a Burger King back when Burger King had little tin ashtrays on the table. I remember you those. could smoke yeah. and yeah, that was close. Yeah. It was yeah. definitely great. So, but that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> then you got these people like, well, Oh no, man. It's like, dude, just, he, he's not intentionally getting high off that. He's not setting out. Right. Well, it, the premise all, was, it all know, changed common sense. Like yeah. the whole youth crew late 80, like yeah. it all changes and becomes more of a solid and I think, I mean, that's just the natural progression of things. But yeah. you were still there for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I actually became very militant for a while, too. I got really militant for a while. I turned into a huge dick. I, I, don't, so, know, I don't know that part about yeah, you. Well, hold yeah. on. Let's, let's, uh, yeah. When did you say, I am straight edge? So, 
so reading these zines, I discovered my threat. Maybe, God, uh, 88 comes. I buy another zine, Boiling Point. Mm. It's got Judge. It's got Token Entry. It's got Youth of the Day. Slightly before that, there's a skater buddy of mine. Who I, he he just had this really high energy. I couldn't tolerate him. Just like, hey, bud, you know, just kind of <laughs> wacky fucking skater kid. But he was like listening to all kinds of straight edge shit. And so he, he, the first time I heard "We're Not in This Alone" from you the day was from him, and I loved it because it's just overdriven. Like it sounded like shit, mm-hmm. but it was just loud and just awesome. Wake up and live, and it's just all discipline. I'm like, yeah, fuck, you know, fuck my home life. Blah blah blah. This is what it's about. I'm gonna do shit right, you know. Like that whole thing kicked in, and being young and naive. It sets you on a path. You you interpret it wrong. You, you see it as something <clears> like, yeah, I, fuck everything, man. I'm going to do it this way, and it's the only way, right? right? Because you're young, and that's what you do. So, so but you're now you're saying you interpret it wrong. Yeah, in not the sense you interpret that, like, it right. In, sen- in the sense, in the philosophy that there's only one way to do it, right? Okay, you know what I mean, like. <laughs> and so that's that's what kids do. They do stupid shit. So. So that was probably like my first real taste of like hardcore, like straight edge hardcore. Minor threat was one thing. It was yeah. like saying that, hey, there's people like this, like this that exists, but then there's, we're not in this alone. Just, you know, just because now you're we're in back, it. you know, like, like oh, yeah. That kicks in, you're just like, <laughs> it's like, oh my God. And if that, hit, if that hooked you like that, there's just no coming back. No. So no. you were, and but you kept your long hair or you already, oh, yeah. no, at that kept point. my long hair, kept my long hair at this point. Cause see, yeah, that could have so. been a haircut right there. Like oh, right, that could have yeah. been, I could have went full on jock. <laughs> and the kid who never went to school like you take that record, coat <laughs> you take that record and you go and i need this haircut i need these pants i'm gonna roll up the cuffs like this yep. i need these shoes i need all of it yep and that's but you didn't do it no no but i you, stayed I, I i maintained my identity it was about a philosophy not the fashion but so you took i on, never took on the fashion aspect but of music t- but you said general. but you took on the hard edge yeah yeah so I mean, there's there's a little bit of a story before we get to the hard shit. Like, so there's, you know, I got into that. I, then I'm reading Boiling Point, reading Judge. Judge is sounding fucking fantastic. I'm like, this is great. So I go to the record convention at Seattle Center, um, and New York Crew had just coming out, came out. It was Revelation's peak, Revelation Records' peak time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just put out everything. Like, you know, the Grillo Biscuits EP had just come out maybe a year before. The Judge, New York Crew... Side by side, the and uh, shortly after that, the the last Youth of Today EP. Yeah, which is your my list, one. list, uh, list, so list of like, crucial records that it, you yeah, just have and, to have. And I'm just like, blamp, you know, pick up <laughs> the whole. I'll take the whole Revelation record section, and here's a hundred bucks. Nice, and you know, of my hard earned money. And then I go home and listen to these, and it's on. That's it. And so, I mean, it started from that zine, really, because, I mean, I heard you the today, I got into Minor Threat, but sitting with that zine, it wasn't about going to the shows, it was reading the interviews of these guys, and then being able to relate, I think is what got me into it, and saying, yeah, that totally, that's what I'm, that's what I want to do, that's what I want to be, you know, and so. So put an age on it, how old are you, 14? Yeah, 13, 14. 13, 14, okay. Yeah. And so, but um, there's no date. You can't say on this no, date I said I was straight edge. No, most people can't. No, but so see, I, I was never that precise about things. Again, it's a general philosophy. I was never like, and and truth be told, I claimed straight edge for less than a year 
because it, I saw it go bogus real bad. <laughs> In my opinion, wait, wait, so you, you claim me, straight edge? Hate mail. <laughs> you claim straight edge for less than a year from thirteen to fourteen? Like God, no. So then, I don't think I don't think I claimed straight edge until sixteen. I don't think I ever actually claimed straight edge until sixteen. And, it was short lived. No, this is this is for some people. This is a foreign language. By claim mm-hmm. straight edge, you yeah. say I am straight edge. Yeah. And then you're in. You yeah. you jump yourself mm-hmm. into the gang. Yeah. yeah mentally yeah. and emotionally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever claimed it for uh, because I just figured I don't drink. I am straight edge, and I listen to hardcore. I am straight edge. What's there to declare? Right. What are you What are you going to declare? Like, oh, it, it didn't make sense to me. So I don't were you think... going out at Were you going out to shows like an X, like X's on your hands, all that? At sixteen, yeah, sixteen, yeah. And what Face kind of first? Sh- I was I was playing shows. At that oh, point. Okay. I was Xing up, and so you'd gone north. So... You were moving, or were you living in interbase still? Oh, oh no! So at this point, we had moved them out like terrorists, actually. Okay. Because my dad thought I would do better in school because I wasn't going to school. And now, did you so. stay in that house for a long time? Because I remember coming up to that house at some point. Oh, you're thinking of? No, I moved out from my parents and moved in with my brother. That's this it. is okay. a different era. Yeah, right, that's right. in Bo- that was in Bothell. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember. I remember having a barbecue over there. Uh, There's a story about that yeah, barbecue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Apparently, well, no, I'm not even going to go into it. I got to wait till Bill Quinby's. There's a Bill Quinby story about that barbecue, Uh-oh. which is uh, is pretty fun. But I'll have him on the show one of these days. That'll be a story for him to tell and to rake me over the coals because apparently I did something not very cool. Oh man, I'm dying to know because that was at my house. <laughs> I didn't know we didn't do anything to him. I think I think we gave him a ride and left him. <laughs> that's such a Quimby story. That's, knows, that's totally something that would happen with Quimby, right? But like, I don't think it's me. Like, it wasn't my vehicle or anything. Right. But I, I, for whatever reason, he blames me, and yeah. I, he blames me for a lot of stuff. Um, but it's all awesome. So right. I, I definitely gonna get him in here, and he has done so many. You know, he's you saw what I put him through in Edge of Quarrel. Yeah, you know, yeah. he gets he gets naked and dumped out of a car, and he gets. <laughs> <laughs> There's all kinds of other stuff for that. So he definitely has always been there for me, but I didn't even know this story until, like I said, I'm going to let him tell it in detail because he was very young and I think he was just one of those like, we're going to this thing. Come right. with us. We've seen you at a show like, <laughs> and just forgot about him. So, yeah. So I was, um, I, I was living in Mount Lake Terrace when I really got into hardcore. I remember I had my record player and that, that was my thing was, to go there and listen to my records and, and just really dig deep into this shit. And so, right. So you're 10 minutes North of the city mm-hmm. and you get into a band with guys from Everett. Is that Mally Terrace? I was going to school with these guys. It was, um, at the time I was actually doing a punk band with my brother and some older friends and just a band called Waste King. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that was, that was officially my first band. I've, you guys play shows? Yeah, we played we played at Washington Hall with Subvert, Jester's of Chaos, and, and Waste King. Yeah, I've seen the flyer. Yeah, yeah. Like so, <laughs> I don't know if Waste King is on it, but I I know uh, <laughs> I know that flyer from Washington Hall. Yeah, Waste King's on it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I didn't know so, that was you. Okay. Yeah, and so yeah, so I was I was playing with those guys, and we were playing a lot of you know a lot of barbecues and backyards in Malik Terrace, so we were becoming a thing. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, fucking dumb kids. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so that's awesome. So, the Waste King. Yeah, named that for the first punk band up. any of my friends were in was called TFW. Totally fucking wasted. Nice. That was the first show I saw, <laughs> oh, like man. where I'm, where there was moshing. These and there was like three or four of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all it takes, man. 
Um, so yeah, so I was playing that and then my buddy Eric Kinder, who I think I had history class with or something, was trying to get something going with James, also known as Spanky, who was a skater kid at my at my school who I thought was cool. He was like wearing a suicidal hat flipped up and mm-hmm. skating. You know, he looked all fucking just gangster shit and stuff, just cool kid, you know, and, and uh so I I think those two guys were were trying to get something together, and I was like, well, fuck, I don't have, you know, I'm in Waste King, and I think I was kind of a dick about it. I think I was just like, I'm doing another, I'm not gonna be in a band with high school kids, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) wow. (laughs) There's a lot of ignorance here. All of this, a lot of this filtered out before I met you because I never had an impression of you being this way. I'm also pretty hard on myself too, so you know, I don't, you know, I, I. this just, might have been going on in your head while the rest of us were like, hey, there's Soto yeah. being totally like Maybe. chill, like normal. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, I think James, I got James and Eric jobs at this telemarketing office where I worked. Cause you know, that's what you do when you're 16. Okay. And so, um, so we're all sitting there and we would just call each other all night on each other's phones and pretend we were working. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, uh, you know, I think Kinder and or James was like, "Come on, man, you got to do this. You, you gotta, you gotta be in this band. You know, like write some songs for us at least." And so, so I wrote like a song, and I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll come to practice and play bass, and so we can get this." <clears throat> we got this other guy on guitar, and then so we we did that, and I ended up being stuck in the band. I actually had a lot of fun, and I was like, "This is oh, this is hardcore. This turned into a hardcore band, right? Rad." Because I don't want to do shitty punk. Like I didn't, <laughs> and like so. I was digging because here's the thing in Waste King, everybody wanted to write like everybody wanted to do like Gigi Allen covers. Everybody was right. hammered in that band, and I'm and I'm writing songs literally with what I called the Chain of Strength drum beat. It was like, what the fuck is that? I'm like, no, no, floor tom, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, trying to like write like this, this punk band. I'm trying to like do these Chain of Strength riffs and stuff, you know, and it just didn't obviously was not gonna work. And so face first, it was like, holy shit, this is like a heart. This is exactly in. James quit smoking. He went straight edge, and Eric Kinder didn't drink anyway, so he's straight edge. And you know, so I started having a blast with that, and then uh, yeah, it just became like a hardcore band, um, uh, face first. And then I remember our first show was supposed to be at the party hall, Judge mm-hmm. Inside Out, I think, or Judge Chain, no Judge Inside Out. I don't Judge canceled. I don't think, I think. Judge was it was wasn't it Judge and Bold. No, not bold. Definitely wasn't bold. Uh, oh, what was that chance? Was that chance? Ranking it's Judge and Inside Out. Judge Inside Out, Crescent Crutch. Refused. Well, I know there were Judge Flyers, but I it, the Inside Out show I think I thought was separate from that because the, the Inside Out show did happen at the Ballard Firehouse, right? I went. To, we did it in Bellingham. Oh, I saw it up there. Um, but I know it just affected everybody. It was a big deal. Okay, but so so that was your that was your first show with Face First. With face first, and then I, I'd play. No, I think my first official show was at Waste King when it washed it all, right? With with, and, with face first, so that's how face first got off the ground. Yeah, and then okay, so then that's how I meet you guys. Um, yeah. the, and the three of you that was stand re- out. Who was a guitar player? Steve Ricky. He's in Portland. He's playing stuff down there. Was I think somebody from Poison Idea? No, no, oh, cool. Yeah, um, that was Undertow's first show as Undertow, I believe. Oh, where they changed their name from Refuse. Refuse, yeah. <clears throat> it always sounds like, to me, when I listen yeah. back to this, it always sounds like I'm saying Refused. Yeah. But no. 
No refuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, they they changed their name to Undertow and suddenly got really good. Yeah. And that was, do you remember that? There <laughs> was clicked that, into place. There was that time where Joel was still singing mm-hmm. and every single show, it, it just, it moved forward. Like you could just see the bar being moved and it's like yeah. people are doing these dances people are knowing like the breakdown parts of the song the good sing-alongs yep. right yeah. and it's still standing like, oh, like <laughs> and and people are and people are like mimicking like everyone's kind of showing up to the shows like yeah. wow how many turning point shirts are there at this show you know oh everyone's so, got- people like long sleeves huh <laughs> exactly like oh um but that was such a cool time and yeah. then it was just like a, like i've only seen that a couple times where where it just all starts coming together and you're like, Oh, here you can feel it. Like, here we go. Something's yeah. about to happen, you know? Um, and it was like that. One of the only other times I've really seen it happen was in the early two thousands with champion and stay gold when they were playing shows. I talked about this in the Ram episode and he argued with me about it, but I'm telling you this happened, right? <laughs> it was like they were competing and each show just got better and better and better. Yeah. And I was like, who was going to have the better set tonight? Yeah, and, I can, I can see that for sure. Um, and, but you, you know, you just kind of, at the beginning of it, you're like, oh, I can feel this coalescing. This is gonna, <laughs> you know, this is gonna be years of people's lives, like being stoked on these bands. Yeah. And I felt like face first was right in there. We were but getting then, there. We were getting there, but I, I just think that, and then it just kind of was gone. But then did it die because, because Spanky joined Undertow? It had a big part of it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Because yeah, he joined Undertow and I I mean, I quickly, just like I said, I've got earlier. photos of him playing in Undertow, right? And with my bass, with your this, bass, yeah. and he brought so much character to that yeah. band, yeah. That it that was another thing for them. Right when this rise was happening, then he's in the band. Then it's like, yeah. oh, these guys are funny too. Like there's like <laughs> cool shit happening. Now, did he? So he replaced Pettybone on bass, correct? And Pettybone, and Pettybone, went, Pettybone to went to vocals. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. that was like kind of like so. Undertow Mach Two. Yeah, I mean, he was just that was that was a dream for him, you yeah. know, and to be able to go on tour and you know see these bands from Chula Vista and all that, you know, that whole era, the ebullition and stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I think, and at that, and in the same token, I don't think I was personally at that point in my childhood. Let's not say, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to say because I mean, all those decisions I was making, I mean, they're so temporary. It was a child. It was. So it was an evolving child, right? Oh yeah. So I don't. I mean, this. I, I never like to say that I was held to any philosophy or anything like that. But, but at, at the time, but we're talking about your, your eighteen, nineteen years old. It was getting at there, those yeah. party hold days. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you still see yeah. yourself when you look back now. You feel like you're a child, right? Because yeah, I absolutely do. Yeah. I feel that up yeah. through my twenties. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm, I was accountable for my decisions, but. But yeah, I mean, I, I had every right to change my mind or, or feel the way I felt. And so at the time I felt like it was just becoming, oh, what's that? I mean, there was a, there's a saying about those, about people who, uh, there was actually like a, a hard times article that just came out about guy insists the scene's over the, the, the minute he'd stop oh, the shows or something. <laughs> See, like, and then something, he something like, yeah, that was me. That was that moment. It was like, you know, like, oh, geez, you know, like I'm just tired I'd rather, I mean, I was doing all kinds of weird shit too. I was still trying to collect, um, uh, my personal life together, get that together, figure out what I was going to do and how things are going to work and all this madness going on. So there's the way I was seeing it was like, okay, I got what I need out of it, which is just a collective of ideas. 
You're talking about you got what you need out of the hardcore scene or out of straight edge? I guess uh, of hardcore and straight edge both. Okay. Meaning that like there's, I wasn't totally alone, which as a kid I needed that reinforcement. Um, but I also felt that it was going into this crazy direction of like uh, just who's wearing what and who's who's name dropping and all kinds of shit and just everything that was anti-hardcore to me because it's like you know anti our hardcore was supposed to be super non super or not superficial and yeah shelter putting out songs about pictures being false and all this crazy shit but then you see everybody just being superficial all the time well and so here's the thing man i never took a word that shelter said to heart (laughs) i'm just saying the irony the irony there no i know because like you flip the record over and you're singing a prayer to a god you don't believe in totally totally with you on that man i enjoyed watching shelter play they were a huge impact in the northwest that weekend they came up was a big deal for a lot of people but the message, ne- yeah. well, and it was twice, I believe. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm thinking of it coming back with Inside Out. Oh, God. Or no, no. He came out with Inside Out, then came back with Shelter, and he was more, oh, right, more right, Krishna. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my but point- I really had a problem with all that. And so, like, I, yeah. but yeah, no, Inside Out was doing the whole, th- there was a whole, like, th- my identity. This is not my, mm-hmm. these clothes are not my identity or whatever, right? right? Yeah. Which was nice for fairly no, And so Inside Out, I will fucking, <clears throat> that is probably one of the most important bands in hardcore to me. Like, sure. I mean, Zach, fucking legit dude, mm-hmm. you know? And I agree. Those lyrics nail everything. I mean, that's, I mean, that was hardcore to me. However, when you got a bunch of people name dropping how they know Zach <laughs> at, <laughs> at an Inside Out show and just being complete opposite of what he's, you know, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and it wasn't, and not to say that all hardcore kids are like that. No, because I mean, look, there's you, there's Pettibone, there's so many people, there's Ron, you know, fucking all basically these guys. most Just, of the people that are still around. Yeah, yeah, that, which only a few stand in the end. Of course, it's how it's with everything. So at the time, it was time for me to just kind of back out of it and do my own thing. I just, sure. It was too much. It was, I, I don't like it. What's well, weird? It's, it's funny to hear yeah. you say that because <clears throat> I never think of you as being gone. No, but. I mean, I would do things because like, you went to 1007 and then right. you were involved with me. Right. Like, so I saw you more. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, but see, do you see that 1007 was sort of an escape too? Yeah. You know, from that. I mean, it was something different. I don't know if that's exactly why I did it as we were talking about, but oh, you know, I we think, didn't cover it before you know. we get wh- like well into this, mm-hmm. um, into the, into this more modern era. Cause we're, I want to go into your childhood, the young childhood and the uh, skateboarding and learning yeah. about punk rock and being into metal. The one question that I really like to talk to people about, I want to know about fights, fights. <laughs> like, were you yeah. a guy that got into fights or were you a lover, not a fighter? I'm definitely a lover, not a fighter. As I got older, and inappropriately in my 30s i became a fighter like an asshole okay <laughs> i just couldn't take some of it anymore <laughs> no 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 but, but i'm talking about being out on that rat on that 60 dollar rat bones yeah. and skating no, around i was a lover, like, pe- lover. but, but you, people weren't giving you a hard time i i no they were oh my god i was bullied at school every day and i fucking smiled and took their girlfriends Totally, literally. You smiled and took their girlfriends absolutely that's what yeah. i'm looking for yeah, okay man. so it was like, just... i didn't give a shit about them no, like it was cares like, fuck, man. Yeah, I got, I mean, people used to, I lived in Battleground for a while, actually, during all this mm-hmm. down by Vancouver, you know, this little yeah. tiny town. Holy shit. I got mistaken for a girl every day at school. <laughs> the first day of school, I walk in, I mind you, this is seven. That happened to be within the last few seventh, months. Oh, that's, oh, that's the intermediate school. <laughs> <laughs> 
I get hey, called. She, I get hey, called. She's got a beard. It's 2015. That's cool. No, yeah. I get called ma'am at restaurants when they walk up from behind. They don't uh, see the beard. Totally funny. Yeah, it's, oh, it rules. is funny, and I have a great time with it. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yes. <laughs> Turn around, <laughs> and the shock, the horror, the what have I done is so good. So, so that was that was their that was the intermediate school I went to was Louisville Intermediate and Battleground. That's you were asking where I went to. Mm. I couldn't remember. So first day seventh grade. I'm wearing eyeliner. I got big fucking hair. When you wear an eyeliner, you just watch another state of mind. You do it some no, it was, it was social distortion. It was more like not quite. I wasn't quite there. I was. It was more. This is you know Motley Crue, Celtic Frost. Oh, I, was, okay. I was a metalhead, meaning everything from glam to like sure, trash, venom. Sure. It was all in there. It was a big mission. Well, you talked about liking Hanoi Rocks in Hanoi Rocks, which okay, yeah, fuck, I still love to this day. So, but there's makeup there. Mm-hmm. Okay, absolutely, and that was me. And so, did you wear any more makeup other than eyeliner? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You what else did you wear? I'd wear white powder and shit. Yeah. Pale. I wanted to look pale. Are there photos? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Did you, what about lipstick? No, no, I didn't go, no, no. I know. Not, not on the daily, no, no. But here's the thing. I mean, I even did this during the Himsa years, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> I went back to it. That's another story. But, yeah. So, there's, uh, yeah, but the first day of class, I remember walking into the gym, I was late, because I didn't give a fuck. And so, <laughs> I open, I push open these clunk, clunk, you know, and there's a circle. It's a boys, the boys gym class. Everybody's in a circle because it's like first day orientation, and the gym teacher is sitting right in the middle. And he looks up at me. He goes, "Girls' gyms next door," and he was serious. And all the kids start laughing. And I just go, "Nice." Two fingers up like that, and I back into the door and I fuck you, and I walked out. <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't. Go, I didn't go to school the rest of the day. I just went home. You know, I actually, I think I went home and actually cried because that was. Oh. Oh man, that was brutal. It, yeah. it was hard up front, yeah. but then the soft yeah, side came yeah, up. Yeah, so of course. you, yeah. uh, so you got to go back the next day to that guy's class. Yeah. yeah. What happened, Mister Farmer? What a dickhead, Mister Farmer in yeah. Battleground, Washington. <laughs> He's probably dead or doing shit now. <laughs> okay. But... <laughs> so what? But so how? So does he like? Yeah. Oh, it's 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 you. Yeah. What's up, miss? Yeah. Like, what, no, what did no. he say the next I, day? You know, I don't remember. I just remember I always had to, we had to undress in front of him in the fucking shower room every day, so I hated that. You know, we, we, was a, we, you had to undress in front well, of yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. So this is like, the gym showers were right there, but he had like his own class with a window and, and a desk that looked right in the shower room. <laughs> it looked into the showers? Yeah, he just sat there at his desk while everybody took Wow, some there. people had to go to like the Lusty for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's uh <laughs> That's messed up, man. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so yeah. that's, I, thought, I thought that's how every junior high was. I thought that was junior high. It's like, oh, you have to get naked in front of your classmates. Well, you did so. kind of. I mean, there's some degree of that, but I don't think of it. I never no. thought of it as the, the coach standing yeah. there watching you. <laughs> you know, that is part uh, of the yeah. bru- the brutality they put you through for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. So like they don't do it. They don't do it enough. Like they, they either need to go like military style. Like you have no self. It doesn't right. matter. You're all the boys in this class. If you're naked or not, whatever you're a unit, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. it's nothing, but they don't, they just kind of uh, throw you in there and they allow kids to go around and whip you with towels and yep. fuck with you. And <laughs> yeah, everyone's no. it's horrible. It's just this horrible pecking order that gets worse <laughs> in junior high. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was probably the most grueling school year was Battleground until I just got my footing and I just owned it. 
I just owned that school so bad in the end. It was, I was very <laughs> proud of myself. And so yeah. you were you were still yeah. wearing eyeliner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were you were yeah. taking their girlfriends away. Yeah, because the girls thought the eyeliner was cool. Oh, dude. Yeah, I would like. <laughs> I remember specifically there was this girl. Uh, I'll leave her name out because I think I'm friends with her on Facebook. And, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> but yeah, like Wait, she'll know. Oh, she'll know for sure. But there was this there was this dick dickhead, and he was he was probably my biggest bully and he would come over and bully me all the time and just like call me names or whatever and it's like you know we never got to blows or anything like that it never came to that but it was just really annoying it's just right now and, you realize if you had fought he'd be he'd be your best friend of this day probably probably yeah okay. and so i remember his girlfriend who everybody loved every everybody she was so hot and She's like a farmer's daughter. This whole the whole stereotype, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> or no, not not farmer's daughter, preacher's daughter. Preacher's daughter. Preacher's daughter. Right. Literally. And so, I remember her best friend came over to me and said that she thought I was cute. That her friend thought I was cute, which was that girl. And I was like, oh, Peabody. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was on. And like from that point on, that was my strategy. Just like, and, and I didn't, I never took anything too far. I would just like flirt with them, like get mm-hmm. them like totally googly and stuff, you know, just in front of their boyfriends. That was enough <laughs> for me. That was it. Like, right. Dude, fuck you. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do about it? Kind of a thing. So that was. So you really saw yourself as Fonzie. I don't. Yeah. God, it was terrible, huh? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not terrible. But yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, a. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I've heard you say that for many years, and yeah. now I understand it better. <laughs> I didn't realize you were actually doing Fonzie. Yeah. I just thought that was a Soto thing. Yeah, I wish there was more jukeboxes. Um. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. So that was that was my bullied year in school. But you never you in, in those years you didn't fight anybody. No, 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 okay. never. I was just. And no one ever jumped out. I, I no car like guys ever yeah. jumped out and tried to take your board. Or... Close, close. I've I've always outrun or talked my way out of it. Yeah, yeah. Always. I always tried to take the smarter road. I was good at talking my way yeah. out of it. Yeah. So I never. Yeah. Somehow I never got. And you know, I mean, I always had a temper too. Like it was always like I mean, but it has to be triggered. Like I, it's kind of like my superpower. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just like it's never there. It's put aside, and and then you know if. You know, you start pushing me, you corner me, it's a problem. But, I mean, right. I, I don't. So, I think that helps. But that didn't sometimes. come out until your 30s. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I let it loose a lot more when I was in my 30s. I mean, I didn't, I, I wasn't afraid, I guess. So, and I think that people sense that. That's why I never got beat up, you know. Right. So. Okay, so but, we could come back up to, to 1007. So yeah. you're in Face First, now you're in 1007. We're doing stuff. You record the Your Cool LP. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a good time. We were yeah. going in there. It was an yeah. interesting time. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you guys played some pretty, I don't want to use the word epic, but some pretty big shows that were probably the highlight of 1007's career as oh, a yeah. band. Yeah. Um, and there was a period of time when you had dancers on the side of the stage. Mm-hmm. It was Pettibone, and who was the other dancer? Steve Samples is that his I name? think that's I think, right yeah, I yeah. think um and 
them explain these guys would like get shirtless with mm-hmm. like big jeans like those giant 90s jeans jinkos and they'd like write stuff on their chest and mm-hmm. they would just like dance like they were dancing girls in a cage except they yeah. were dudes on the side <laughs> of the stage while ten of seven played it was awesome and it was good yeah, and people so thought it good. was hilarious and they would rub like whipped cream all over themselves and right well throw the, tortillas out in the audience it got it's it kept getting that you guys were gonna do something Matt was gonna do something that was gonna be silly string or there was gonna be some yeah. kind mm-hmm. of mess that was made yep. and it all culminated with a huge show at the Bellevue Y mm-hmm. that had blow up gorillas, whipped cream, silly str- everything. Yeah. Like, and there are photos. That's, I've got a whole bunch of photos. I'll put some of these up. I think wasn't it? Oh, was it with the posies? Yeah, we opened for the posies. But you guys devastated that place. Yeah. In terms of, it was such yeah. a mess, and there were kids. Yeah. At one point, there was a line of kids up front at the barrier, and Pettibone had a huge thing of whipped cream in his hand and he ran and slapped their faces like ran a log like he, like like some kind of like three stooges thing yeah. slapped all their faces they all had like you know beards of whipped cream or shaving cream or whatever the hell it was it was a that was a really good time and, <laughs> and i thought this band everyone's gonna find out about this band i really thought it was gonna blow up and be a big thing yeah and it didn't it, yeah. it stuff. Ha- I mean, stuff. You you guys went on yeah. tour, <laughs> but a, you couldn't yeah. really take that on the road. You couldn't take the crowd from the east side, yeah. from the old firehouse, and all that scene. No, no, no. So out yeah. in the world, it was just another band, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So it, you guys, it was a tough world out there. <laughs> you guys went on tour what in '94? <laughs> yeah, '94, full U.S. I think. I think you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was '94. It was a full U.S. I think it was like eight weeks. And you. Told I think, me, I think Blake from didn't Blake from Jawbreaker help set that up, or he provided all the promoters. I know that at least he probably gave Matt yeah. some of that information because yeah. they would talk back and forth. I'm now you told me that when you went on that tour, you had a cell phone, yeah, and I that was everybody made fun of me because for you it. were such an early adopter of technology <laughs> and you still do that to this day. And it blows my mind because I can yeah. never follow yeah. the stuff that you're into, like, but but. We're talking 1994, a cell phone. I mean, is this like a Wall Street? Like he's walking on the beach with a big brick talking at it? So what happened? So because my brother and my dad were driving cabs, Mm -hmm. they had cell phones. They had car phones. And um, my dad got a new one, I believe, that was like – this was like one of the first handheld truly wireless ones. Mm Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a, it was. Well, that wasn't a brick. It was the right. first f- series that wasn't a brick, you know. Right. And so my dad had. I think he got one permanently installed in the car because he liked that better. And so this one was laying in the drawer. And at the time, you know, cell phone plans were like eight hundred bucks a month. You had to do it for work. Right. You know? Yeah. And so he, you know, th- this was his dispatch because he was an independent cab driver. He didn't have a dispatch company. Right. So he had a cell phone. So, um. So he was able to activate that before family share plans were around, put it on the same account. And uh, I was able to take it with me. I'm like, you know, I, I had to talk him into it. And I, I think I actually paid for it um, from working. And so we get on the road. Everybody's making fun of me. Everybody, you know, as they always do. And I, again, I don't give a shit. And so we break down 5 a.m. in Iowa in the middle of nowhere. Right. And. I think it's pouring rain or at least there's a major lights lightning storm. I'm not sure which I can't remember. I just remember the lightning. I don't remember if it was raining too. Everybody's like, fuck, we dropped a drive line. What are we going to do? Fucking this is insane. 
bought my cell phone call a tow truck. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> awesome. So you saved the day. Yeah. Technology saved the day, as always. So, yeah, cell phone. That was great. And it was on, awesome. I just, I, because yeah. at the time, no one, no, no one had any of that stuff. Nobody did. People were still using However, dialers, dialers, and, di- from and Radio Shack. Dialers from yes. Radio Shack. We put the chip, you put the crystal mm-hmm. in it, and you have a friend who knows how to solder. You mm-hmm. put that thing in there, and you can fake it on the payphones. It would replicate the coin tones yes. as you would put the coins in the the, the payphones. So yep. dimes, right? I think it was only dimes that worked. Ours? Did you okay, have maybe, a different one? Maybe. I actually, I don't remember. Um, no, but did yeah. You, did you have one of those also? Because you oh, had the cell fuck phone. Yeah, okay. yeah. We got we picked up ours. Uh, picked ours up from this promoter in Virginia at Kings. We played at the Kings Head Inn in Virginia Beach, and uh, we nice. picked it up from him. <laughs> and so, yeah. Now, you guys also played, famously, Josh Grabell's Basement with Earth Crisis. Yeah, and, and Strife. And Strife. Earth and Crisis. Trenton Falls, Strife, New Jersey. In 1007, this pop-punk <laughs> band. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Kids knew who we were. And so this is insane because I was so excited because at the time, this is... Like, I got really back into Straight Edge by this point. And right. I was militant. I was like, and when Earth Crisis, I mean, I was listening to Vegan Reich, Raid. <laughs> oh, God. I was, I was into that whole thing at that point in time. I in was my so life. not into that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a walking contradiction. I, I do whatever the hell I want, and it's mm-hmm. usually pretty ridiculous. So <laughs> it's like, um, I, yeah. So I was really, when Earth Crisis came out, I was just mate. I was, you know, Firestorm, you hear that, and it's like, oh, my God. So. We're playing this show with Earth Crisis and Strife, and it's this basement. It's packed, obviously. We roll up, and there's just kids. There's no way they're going to all fit in the basement. Right. There's no way. <laughs> so I get out of the van. I'm like, where's the shower? And I ask the kid where the shower is because I have to take a shower every day. That's how I was. And so <laughs> he's this long-haired fucking creep in my shower. So um, He's so- going to plug up the drain. <laughs> Straight hairs. <laughs> Which is actually probably true. That's not, even, that's not even a joke, actually. So, so we, yeah, there's there's kids pouring out of the door. I mean, I want to say there was probably like 500 kids, but it's hard to, when you look at the basement, Yeah, you know, it looks bigger, you know what I mean? So it's hard to say. I mean, it's definitely a lot of kids there. So, but we play and... Yeah, like people were like yelling out songs for us to play and stuff. It was a blast, total blast. I think I think the more crazier show that we played was Salt Lake City with 108. Oh god, <laughs> that is also awesome. And I think the only reason we didn't get killed is because I actually X'd up at that show. <laughs> 108 being a, a a militant Krishna band, and Salt Lake City in 1994 when at being, Salt Lake City's brutal peak of straight edge. Yeah, yeah. like the worst straight yeah. edge scene ever. Yeah. like for in terms was, of violence, there was a dude in the pit with the hatchet, and there's another dude in the pit with chain. <laughs> with and, a and nobody moved out of their way. <laughs> You know, sometimes there's a hatchet and a chain. What are you gonna do? But I, yeah, and we we stayed with the drummer from State of the Union, I think. Oh, right on. Yeah, sounds so, right. Yeah, we got out of there pretty quick. It, we were not gonna go. It was wasn't gonna go well if we hung out. We got that was the one show we got booed. Really? Oh, we got booed. Uh-huh. Yeah, we cut the set set short. The flyer was awesome. It had Snoop Dogg <laughs> on it. And... <laughs> Uh, but I think I, I literally think if I didn't have X's, like I would have gotten beat down or something. Right. Okay. So, so, so you come back from that tour. Yeah. 
And how much you're not in Tennis Seven much longer. No. What happened there? Yeah, what did happen? Did it just break up? That's a good question. We started practicing. We moved started practicing out in the U District. Um we wrote some killer new material. And we played it on WFMU in East Orange, New Jersey, which was recorded, and I wish I could get that recording. Matt's got a copy of it. No, I didn't I don't think he does. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, it, it's possible it's in the tapes, but I think that's one I would have snagged when I was helping. I, I moved uh, him out of his place a while back. Okay. <laughs> a little quick thing to get that back up there. Yeah. So um so if if yeah. it exists, I mean I'll ask him. You know, it maybe he actually killer. does. And actually there was also a recording that he had of us at the King's Head Inn in Virginia too. Oh, okay. Direct from the board. It was both sounded amazing. It was full sets. Um, but we recorded, we had some new songs that we played at both of those shows, and I wish they were, they just never got released, never got recorded, and I thought it was our better stuff. Um, but what happened? I mean... Well, the next thing I know, Matt's in Red Rocket, and you're doing yeah. Balance of the World. Yeah. I was, was there anything between that, you know, I think and that was I think that was it. I think Kinder and I, Kinder was playing drums in Balance of the World as well, um, and I joined that band. Balance of the World is a Northwest band from the mid-90s that has strangely... It's one of those bands that is kind of lost a little bit. Like, there's not a presence of it very much out there on the internet. No. I mean, I know there are some blogs where you'd be able to get, like, no, the it's hardly those anything. five songs. Yeah. You guys had a release. There was yeah. a... Was it just CD or was there a 10-inch also? There's a 10-inch and, and a CD, yeah. And it's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you, do you disagree? I, it's, it's one of my favorite bands I was ever in. It was, and your shows were. It's the only band I'm not totally, I'm not embarrassed in any amount. Of, oh, you shouldn't know? be. You shouldn't be embarrassed of them. But, but so. the thing now, I was watching, and I had this experience more than once. And I wish I could say that you were the person that this was said about, but it's Kinder. So I was. I had two different occasions. I stood next to girls that were watching Kinder play drums and kind of losing their minds oh, over yeah. it. Yeah. Like they were. They were like. You know, just the because he hit hard, uh-huh. you know, and uh-huh. then one of them like said something to me like, "I just I get so turned on when I watch him play <laughs> drums." I'm like, "Oh my god, this band is like, this is like," and like dudes that were really into music are losing their minds yeah. because this is no one's playing anything like this. It's yeah. just very very cool. Yeah, yeah, I had a blast doing that band. That was like my ideal music to play. That was fucking perfect. And Zach is a great. I mean, he write he writes some cool lyrics too uh, i loved everything you wrote yeah no yeah, it was it so, was super cool um yeah we, i mean we've i mean we did a couple of those reunions and but yeah because yeah not too yeah, long ago you yeah. played the undertow reunion yeah i played the undertow and then we did a, like a secret reunion at the comet which is actually way more fun to play i thought like that was that was super rad a lot of people there and i thought it sounded pretty great so so what did you do? <clears throat> so that went on. I mean, you guys were doing that for what two or three years? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we we tried to go into on that weird late nineties period. Yeah, yeah. So and then when things got weird, that's definitely why ten oh seven split up. I think Kinder and I were just doing balance the world, and it was just time. I think yeah, it was just time at the at that point, and um, I think we found exactly what we wanted to do, especially or at least for the time we went, we <laughs> we got. We were supposed to go on tour with Bloodlet, and we got we had to find our own way out to Florida, mm-hmm. meet Bloodlet, then go up to up the East Coast with Bloodlet, support Bloodlet on this tour and stuff, and then continue on the tour. 
so we had to find our own way out to Florida, and so we that meant playing some really shitty shows, just unknown band, you know. Like, but we had a blast, like in Arkansas. Play it was our second. Wait, so time. you you did do that tour? You went well, out? Well, we went out. We started okay, and then we made our way. We did like Little Rock, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and like see. And there's a lot of shows I don't remember. Like I don't remember. Oh, Galita. We got to play with Manumission there and, you know, some ebullition bands and stuff. And we actually got to record a demo from the drummer from Manumission. Nice. Or not drummer. There was, there was a drum machine. <laughs> so it was one of the guitar. Or it was one of the singers, I think. So he recorded a demo for us, like, just on the fly. It, was, it came out really good. And then, uh, God, where did we go? So there's a lot of those shows I don't remember. I don't remember But you didn't make name. it to Florida? So we got to Florida. And... <laughs> the tour, the tour wasn't happening, and you didn't know, right? <laughs> so you toured out to Florida to support Bloodlet yeah. up the East Coast, which yeah. with your with with balance of the world at the time, that would have been a game changer. Yeah, at, at, uh. at, yeah. So we got to the furthest point from Seattle <laughs> in the U.S. that you can be in the country. Yeah, and uh, to find out the, sh- the tour wasn't happening, and then what really sucks about it was. Two days later, we were supposed to be playing with 108 Integrity, who uh, a bunch of other bands I can't remember at CBGBs, oh. which was would have been my dream, right? You and know, you're that close to it, that close, two days out, and that show wasn't happening at all. That show happened, but not with Bloodlet. Oh, and so you guys, yeah, we would have been on it if yeah. Blood. Oh, so <clears throat> yeah, so that, that never happened. But uh, that sucks, man. Yeah. So that was was that the end of the band? I, I think that was part of it. Uh, Zach was kind of doing his own thing and stuff, and that was kind of it. I think we disbanded, and I think he tried to. I think he tried to keep it going with. I, I could be wrong. I might be remembering this. I think he tried to keep it going with Damien on bass for a second, um, and then Kirby, or maybe not Kirby, maybe Kinder. It was. Like two of two without two of us, but kept two. It right, was, we were a four piece. I can't remember though. I but it was it lasted like two months or something like that, and then it just finally died. Okay, so so that what are you talking about? Like ninety eight? I think so. Ninety seven. I could be. I think, I think wait, that, it could it could be ninety six. I think actually. Yeah, ninety six, ninety seven. Actually, I think. God, I don't. It's hard right. to. Th- yeah. Well, I could be it's, remembering. It's, it's I a, could. It's I, an interesting time period where things get really compacted, and yeah. you think. Things were going on for a long period of time, and no, they it's weren't. Not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I could be remembering the end of Balance the World completely wrong. I, so don't hold me to that. Um, so then you swore off playing music, right? Yeah, I sold all my bass, my bass gear, everything. Oh, I just made that up. You really did? No, I did. Yeah, but you got yeah. right back into it, though. No, I didn't get right back into it. How I long? guess I did. So I guess that's your eternity thing, right? I yes, because it's yeah. not long before it wasn't long. everything went. I black. sold my bass gear. Yeah, and then. Uh, <laughs> Kirby and Ego, and they were doing everything when black. Uh, our good friend Tom LeFay, he was playing bass, and I think uh, he's just doing the family thing, so he was stepping off bass. They asked me to play, and I said, Fuck, I just sold my gear. <laughs> so, <laughs> I did it once again. I'm back in. I thought I was out. They're pulling me back. <laughs> So, you know, that's, well, that's the thing. Like I've always, I, I think if it wasn't for friends, I don't think I'd ever be playing music because I mean, I love doing it, but at the same time, not really. <laughs> like it's, I like playing with my friends. But, but you were a go-to guy for being in these bands for more than a decade. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, even currently, that's how I ended up playing music again. It's the same thing. Uh, nothing's changed. It's like... <laughs> a few things but, have changed. Yeah, well, a few, <laughs> few pounds have changed. That's mine that I'm hitting, my friend. All right. So, yeah. yeah. we're a little bit older, whatever, dude. But, um... We're not skinny kids and, and looking nah. like Krishnas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not rocking the air eyeliner anymore. <laughs> sure. Um... Yeah, so everything went black. I joined that. That was super fun because... And you named a song after you. I didn't name a song after me. <laughs> the band... the, hold on. Were you in a band that had a song called Soto? Yes. Okay. You can say whatever you want. Well, why don't you explain it to I... us? <laughs> it stands for Standing on the Outside. Okay. And it was about <laughs> about holding your own identity. And so who wrote the, who wrote the song? Did Cur- you Kirby, <laughs> shit? Kirby <laughs> Kirby and I wrote the music, which I thought was our best song. Right. I still think it's one of our best songs. And Ego wrote the lyrics. Okay, and so that was like his homage mm-hmm. to you. No, it was no. It just. It's cool because it's kind of, hey, Soto, and there's a Soto in the band. It's funny. It's ironic. It's, no. He had to have thought about that. <laughs> well, of course. What can but... I make Soto say? Well, stand on the outside. Yes. Well, okay. So and here, it, Look, here's... I'm not making fun of it. I okay. think it's rad. Okay. Well, here's the thing. So we're not the only ones, or we weren't the only ones with a song title named Soto standing for that. Uh, Broken Bones. Remember that band? Punk kind rock of, band? Yeah. From England. Uh, they, they also had that? They had a song called Soto. Oh. It was called it was Sitting on the Outside. So. Well, I didn't know that. Um. So anyway, yeah. So that's how it, any, somehow, it, I, you know. And then ironically, it starts off with, well, the second version started off with bass by itself. So now, then it became like, hey, this is Soto's song. <laughs> it's my anthem, bro. How and long so, did Everything Went Black go? Um, three years, I think. And you guys were playing shows at the uh, Paradox in the U District. I definitely saw you oh, play yeah. there. At the house band there. There in the Auburn Annex. Like the, the Auburn Annex, <laughs> house, yes. House you band. put out a split seven inch with Last Man Standing. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yep. Good luck finding that, people. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's out there, though. Yeah. It's circulating around in the world. Yeah. We put out a cassette demo first. That was before I was in the band. And then <clears throat> uh, the split seven inch with Last Man Standing, which I can't remember if I was actually on. That might have been before I was in the band, actually. I'm not sure. Everything else after. I have one in this room, but I could not put my hands on it very um, fast. I'll I'll try to get a picture of it and put it up on the blog. I believe there's some release of our EP officially in Spain or something, because before that it was only released by us. I think somebody released it in Spain. I've oh. never owned a copy, nor seen it except. Wait, like, so it's a third? Everything went black record. I think so. Yeah, I think it was like a demo we put out, and it was oh. officially released there. Or something. Okay. I don't Very know. cool. <laughs> so, does that end about the start of uh, Himsa? Yeah. Or do they overlap? No, no. They they sort of overlap because at that time Josh Freer was in the band. <laughs> right. And me and Josh and I, we were both very into the same thing. Where I think. You know, we were doing Halloween shows where we were wearing eyeliner and all that shit. And <laughs> the next day, we're like, we're not going to wash it off. We're going to keep wearing it. We're going to bring it back. 
So we kept wearing eyeliner, and, he, and uh, we were both listening to a lot of Swedish metal. Okay, you know, at the gates and in flames and all that, and we started. That's when uh, the fuck it all attitude really set in. So we're doing what we want to do and and uh we just started writing swedish metal riffs um we started that was when everything went black died yeah <laughs> so pretty much like we started getting pretty much just metal okay and uh i mean it started off as this kind of like east coast tough guy hardcore stuff and then it just after i joined the band and josh joined the band it was on it was just metal um so I don't remember Hems's terms, but so, something happened where uh, Kirby and Josh, Josh both needed to play guitar in that band, or asked were asked to play, and so they, and they actually yeah, and so they took a few of those <clears throat> Everything Went Black songs, which actually ended up on the courting oh courting yeah, tragedy yeah, disaster yeah they were reformed into Hems's songs. But do you are, know where the name courting tragedy and disaster comes from? I do not. I have to save it for when I get Fed Bone in here. Cause I <laughs> That's going to be a good show. Because I know where he got the title. Oh. <laughs> I was reading a book one day, and I found that, and I realized that, of was, course, was this it is coinc- So it was coincidence that you it, found that. Years so, after it came out. So, but I immediately like either called him up or texted him or something, and I was like, I know where you got the title. And he was just like, yep. <laughs> so oh, this, I'm just teasing when, a someday future episode with Pettybone, which will happen. I love I love when little treasures get un, 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 you know, discovered like that. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like on accident, it's the best. Yeah, that was Everything Went Black. It never, Everything Went Black never really, I don't think it really went anywhere or did anything. Just played some local shows. But people think fondly of it. it I mean, it in the in the scene, I think it had a slight impact. Um because it was, it was done well, you know, I mean, it was for the time, especially it was kind of, that's, that's the two things I'm proud of, I guess, with both balance of the world and everything with black, they were both kind of ahead of their time. Like, you know, like nobody was hardcore bands really weren't doing like Swedish metal stuff at the time. And then now it's a hardcore band is Swedish metal. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, so it's kind of cool. Well, and now that, there's a little bit of everything and, everywhere. Yeah. And that goes back to like me having long hair. And then when I cut my hair out, the straight edge scene grew out their hair, you know, it's like, what? Yeah. It's so kind of funny how it all switches. At some point in there, you start drinking. Yeah. Oh yeah. When, yeah. when did you start drinking? I can't remember. I remember hearing about it and being like, did did we talk at the time about 12, it? It was 12 years ago. Huh? And I was 2003. on 2003. Yeah, that's oh. about right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right before my father passed. Yeah. So I was, on a, I was on a date at Linda's tavern on Capitol Hill and, um, she ordered a Chambord kamikaze and she liked me cause I didn't drink. That's one of the reasons she liked me <laughs> and my motorhead shirt. She liked motorhead a lot. So like, <laughs> dude. Okay. So, so two, two awesome things. <laughs> so I remember smelling that Shambord comic. I was sitting at the bar, sitting, s- smelling that Shambord kamikaze, and as stupid as it sounds, it smelled so good. Had you never drank at this point? No, never. In your whole life? Never. You're, I, you're I, 30 years old. Yeah. Is that right? 29? 20, late 28, maybe early 29, somewhere okay. in there. Okay. Somewhere in that. In that. So I, I had a sip of beer when I was a kid for my dad. Sure. Just He wanted like a six or something. He's like. Yeah, you can have a sip, and it's terrible. Then once I accidentally drink, I used my mom's... to get little beer in a little plastic cup when my dad would drink beer watching football, and I could mm-hmm. sit and drink it. And I didn't like it, but mm-hmm. it was it was something I got to have. You know, I did that a whole bunch right. of times. That was, and I just I don't know for whatever reason I think I hated beer my whole. I mean, uh, 
Well, yeah. by saying my whole life, I stopped drinking at 16 and never have since. But even back then, like high school, and I did yeah. not want beer. Uh, yeah. I. But uh, yeah, and then once my mom, I used to drink my mom's Pepsi. She'd pour it in a glass over ice and I'd mm-hmm. drink it all the time after when I was little. And <clears throat> except one day when we were living in Chicago, she was hosting and having some neighbors over and stuff, all the Greek neighbors in the building and stuff. And. I walk over there and I chug her Pepsi and it's Drambuie and Pepsi <laughs> and just chugged it before I even realized what it was. Just bark. My mom's like, Oh my God. Like, it's like, <laughs> I passed the fuck out. My dad had carried me to bed. And, oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay. So that's the only time I drink. Right. Well, you didn't Complete know, on but... accident. So yeah. So I was at Linda's. I said that smelled amazing and I just chugged her drink and she's like, what are you doing? And I, it was like three quarters of a drink, maybe left. Right. And called my brother. And I'm like, I'm hammered. He's like, What are you talking about? Like, from that, from <laughs> that, you went on. Now, did I, so, so what happened with the girl? Oh, we we dated for a while. Okay. Yeah. She she was like, Oh, I don't no, care no, if you're no, no. She if was, you're not sober anymore. Um, but here's so yeah. There's at this point in my life, I had come to terms that I never I never didn't drink because I can't drink. It's because I didn't care. And in my early years, I felt like it wasn't controllable, you know, because that's what I witnessed. And so at almost 30 years old, you certainly have your own mind and your own, your own uh, willpower. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with drinking. There's nothing's going to change. My life isn't going to fall apart if I have a beer. And that was it. So, uh, <laughs> so then for the, for the following year, my life fell apart because I was drunk all the time. <laughs> well, no, honestly, like I, I wondered if you were going to say that because I don't really remember anything, but I heard stories. Mm-hmm. But there's something about, I mean, obviously, cat's out of the bag on that mm-hmm. one, right? Like we're yeah. not putting the, oh, yeah, the yeah. toothpaste back yeah. in the tube on this whole mm-hmm. story with you. But like you're supposed to make mistakes in your <laughs> life at certain time frames in your life when you have mm-hmm. less responsibility. Yeah. So you're supposed to start drinking when you're a teenager and you're supposed to be an idiot drunk in college. Mm-hmm. So there is nothing like someone who just didn't do that because they were straight, right. who decides to start <laughs> drinking at 25 to 30. Cause then you're, cause then you're experiencing the, the fuck up Yeah. when everyone else hasn't mm-hmm. done that for a long time. And, do you want to speak on that? Have- <laughs> My childhood, I really didn't have, honestly, I didn't have, you know, you got to understand, like I was holding a lot of my family together. Like I didn't have a lot of time to do. Going on tour was a task. Like when I went on tour with 1007, I didn't feel like I belonged on tour. I had shit. I was supposed to be dealing with myself yeah. and my family. I, To me, I had no business being gone. Right. That's how I saw it. Like, I, I shouldn't be doing this. I need to be, I'm supposed to be doing this and that. So, so I didn't do shit like that. I didn't drink, you know. I, I think that was not super intentional. But again, it was like I was focused on other things. As I got older and I was more relaxed, you know, I I gave myself more freedom to fuck up. And maybe I was revisiting a lot of that as well. Because I never, I never did do that when I was a kid either. So, I think that's probably off the top of my head i'm not gonna say for certain but i think that's probably why i was doing a lot of that and to this day still do gladly (laughs) and proudly i give myself time to be a total dickhead and can find myself in one of my best buds houses and we'll watch john hughes films and stay up until 10 a.m doing the stupidest shit i still give i still allow myself to do that like yeah you know and yeah well that's funny because 
years ago you were known as being that long hair straight edge mm-hmm. guy and now i think there are people who know you as a, you get you like your drink every now yeah, and yeah <laughs> certainly and i'm unapologetic but i am very apologetic i i, I never want to i never want to be mean to anybody i'm going to keep doing what i do but i'm going to i'm going to you know um make my mends with these people if i don't do that anymore i i'm not you know i i i've learned to figure out how i work whether it's drinking or weed or anything else like it's not it doesn't matter what it is i just i just know that i have to be civil to everybody around sure. me sure and this this comes back in the play like we're talking about fighting in my 30s and that's it's exactly it so it's like when <laughs> alcohol brought in the fisticuffs oh man yeah like i'll <laughs> wait, wait. I'll, I'll, yeah oh no go go, go on so, <laughs> you, I, i'm just gonna say uh, you know a douchebag at a bar is a douchebag and I'll, I'll i'll leave it alone but if i'm drunk feeling <laughs> I'm going to let that guy know he's a douchebag. <laughs> right. I'm going to be a douchebag to the douchebag. Now, so, at this time, yeah. you were also driving a cab? Oh, yeah. When did you start oh. driving? Because we need to get into basically that part. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up kind of with what's going on currently okay. with you. But yeah. we'll get there with some background. Mm-hmm. When yeah. did you start driving a cab? Mid-90s. Mid-90s? Yeah. Okay, because for a while, weren't you just working on building, like, uh, enclosures in the cabs or something? Yeah, taxi partitions, yeah. Taxi partitions. Yeah. And that was for safety for the drivers? Yeah, yeah. It was a little business my brother and I had in selling taxi partitions. In taxis in Seattle, the, the cab drivers are incredibly flaky, and it was a hard business to... It was a hard sell. But there was a so, lot of violence back then against yeah. the cab drivers, right? Yeah, cab drivers are getting shot left and right back then, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, so... Yeah, and and, yeah. and and knifed and all kinds of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So um, you went from, because you did that for a few years, didn't you? Yeah. And then you yeah. then you started driving. Actually, the when I went on tour with 1007, that's how I got, no? When I went on tour with Balance the World, that's how I made my money for tour was selling those partitions and install. Actually, last minute, I had like eight partitions in stock. Mm-hmm. I called Yellow Cab and I said, I got to make you this deal. And I went down to Yellow Cab like the day before tour, made like $1,000 and then took it on tour. Nice. Know, so that was my tour money. So, All right. So you did that for how many years did you drive a cab? Uh, ten. Just, you, yeah, ten years. Just where you were just driving. Just and driving then a cab, a taxi. Yeah. Driving a taxi cab yeah. in Seattle. And then you decided to make a change. Yeah. So the company so i the first five years or first i don't know if it's exactly five years first handful of years i drove i drove i shared a cab with my dad it was my uncle's cab my dad drove it in the days i drove it at night and he said soto you only do this for six months and you get the fuck out of it and so i <laughs> five years later <laughs> so you know every cab driver's every every cab driver's got the same story so there's a lot of freedom in it. You work yourself to the bone and you, you know, you get paid for what you put in, you know, you got, you want a thousand bucks, you go work for a thousand bucks, right? You want time off, you take time off. It's, it's super addictive and you really have no boss, uh, for the most part. So the company I was driving for, well, my father passed away in 2003 and then, so I went and, started driving for red top cab, which was in Ballard and then uh, drove for them until they sold to yellow cab either in 2004, 2005. I want to say 2005. 
maybe late 2004. Anyway, so. And the, the yellow cab just absorbed the company. Mm-hmm. Didn't. And that's the day I quit. The day mm-hmm. that we were supposed to make the change, go over to the, the yellow cab school, quote unquote. Right. Like I, I just quit. And I said, <laughs> I don't know what. And this is also, you know, the economy was shitty because of 9-11. It never, still in the taxi industry, it still hadn't recovered. Um, It, it just sucked. And um, I was just done with the cab. Getting, really getting into fights and stuff, like big time. Um. I was just over it. It was like, it wasn't fun anymore. And it was something I had to do to survive. <laughs> and I wasn't happy. I wasn't being right. my happy self anymore, which I love being happy. So, <laughs> um, so I just quit and, and, uh, took a year off. I thought I was going to open up a bar. I found a couple potential investors, wrote up a business plan. And I, I said, I don't know shit about bars. So I pivoted my idea and started crown, which is a car service, uh, which I had the idea years prior. Uh, like, hey, what if I just start my own car service? Like, so it was and, called Crown Black? Yeah, it was called Crown Black Car. And you so, you started that. And it's, how is that different from a cab? Uh, well, it's so I formed it. The reason I formed it is because I couldn't start a cab company. Because you can't, I mean, you can buy existing cab licenses from other cab license owners. But it's a million, you know, million dollars, metaphorically speaking, almost literally. So... Um, the way around that was to start a town car service because it's licensed different and the licenses are wide open. There's no moratorium on the licenses. So I said, well, shit, this is easier. Nobody can tell me what I can charge either. So a lot more freedom. So I did that. Um, that's how it was different. It was like, it was just black cars, um, Brooklyn style. But when you started, it was just you and one car? Me by myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then shortly then I- And you were driving around on Capitol Hill. <laughs> if I remember, yeah. cause I've heard story cause- now, years later, I drove for you uh-huh. for two years right. in this company. Yeah. Actually, I drove after after Crown Black was gone, but it became Black, Black Crown, Crown uh-huh. which confused a lot of people, especially <laughs> because I had the same phone number. Uh-huh. But it was a different company. Yeah. But um, I heard stories like people would be like, I was Soto's first ride. And then I hear another person be like, I was Soto's first ride. I'm like, wow, I, that's three. Like, yeah. <laughs> I totally. I heard, but I heard some great and, stories. And they all about know me. I don't know who they are. Everybody. Oh, I, I, I had people. I had people brag to me that they knew who you were as if I didn't know who you were. And I enjoyed those conversations yeah. a lot because I didn't, you know, it was just, it was just fun. But no, some of the old old school like yeah. the people that rode from the very beginning told me some good stories about the early days of yeah. of crown and i guess i mean to get it going you were just driving up yeah driving up by the bars and saying like who needs a ride home yeah yeah hustling <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's like, fantastic yeah i mean yeah what's funny is like i remember when i was driving not too long ago somebody was in the front seat they're on the on their phone they're like yeah i'm in my homie soto's car service and like <laughs> like what's your name man i'm like uh jeff because I didn't want to embarrass them. Wait, wait. Like, they were in. Let's bragging, make sure bragging, people yeah. understand. They're yeah. bragging on their phone that they're in their homie Soto's car service, <laughs> sitting next to you, next to me in the car. not knowing that you're Soto. Yeah. Wonderful. I was actually driving. That's <laughs> so, but awesome. I didn't want to embarrass them. So I'm like, it's like, what's your name? I'm like, Jeff. And who was that person? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I have no yeah. idea. I have no <laughs> so we're not going to call them out here. I have no idea who they were. Oh. So, yeah. Um, so you did that, and then you grew it, and you got more people involved and got more cars? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, built out an app. I got a team, a development team and uh, over in Vietnam, and got the, the app going. And Well, that's what you have going now. Yeah, that's what's yeah, that's where it's at now. And then so, uh, I mean, now it's it's a simpler model. I sleep more at night, less stressed. Um, before when I, when I started, I owned the cars, I leased them out. 
<clears throat> and then I said, well, hey, guys, why don't you buy these cars? I'll sell you this car and do me a solid and you're in business for yourself. Maintain it and blah, blah, blah. And keep going. You know, keep going. Keep building it up. Let's build it up. My friends are terrible business people. <laughs> Yeah, there's like one, there's a last man standing, you know, like one guy left out of all that. So like, well, I clearly, and me being who I am, not wanting to rely on anybody else except myself. I, you know, started recruiting uh, vehicle owners who own their own cars, you know, just limo drivers who contract with me. They have to be good and that's it. So, so that last man standing, um, is he working with you still on? With no, the- no, he's, he's finally down, but he gave it his all. Like He's just, yeah, but that's, yeah. A couple years ago, it's actually two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. um, you put a post on Facebook, which you periodically do, saying you were looking for drivers. Mm-hmm. And I had not been working. I was working in a casino, and I quit that to do uh, like eBay sales and you know, yeah. secondhand sales and stuff just to get out of that world, which I needed to get out of. And you put uh, a thing up on there, and I jokingly responded, oh, wouldn't that be funny if I drove for you? literally just thinking I was like making a joke. Cause I thought I was doing this other thing. And I think you responded like, get in touch with me. Something like that. Like, yeah. Larson, get in touch yeah. with me right now. So I'm like, I think I went out and said something to Michael and I'm like, should I actually think <laughs> about this? And I think she was like, probably, you probably should have an actual job. <laughs> so I talked to you about it and you were like, yeah, do this. And you yeah. pulled me into it really fast Yeah, and got me set up and I, I, I ended up driving for black crown for two years and it was, it was a lot of fun. Like it, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. there were things that there were, I drove only during the day mm-hmm. and just like when I was a poker dealer, I only dealt during the day. So right. I, I always avoid, you know, the money, <laughs> <laughs> but you had, I mean, I like yeah. you had a, a great rep. The company has yeah. a great reputation. People, you know, it was, it was very, very cool. Um, I only wrecked one of your vehicles. <laughs> the first day it was on the road. It had been insured <laughs> for like two hours. It's a true story. It's a van. I drove this van. <laughs> oh my god! I'm driving down a hill into Ballard, and and I I assume at the front of this I forgot this line that. of like twelve. Sorry, then at the front of this line <laughs> of like twelve cars, um, there's like a little kid like chasing a ball out into the street, like they show you in like driver's ed class, you know. Mm-hmm. So everyone slams on their brakes, and it's just like at each car is getting closer to the next car behind mm-hmm. it, and I see that, and I so I put on the brakes, but it had been raining, and I'm in this big Astro van oh, behind this line. fucking van with no brakes. And so I'm sliding. Yeah. And the car in front of me is like a little Hyundai something or other. Yeah. Or tra- it's, it's a tracker. It's something like that. And it's fishtailing. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to. And I know I can't. Like, there will be an impact. We're, it's just getting too close. And no one's like. So I had to make a choice to go. To, to basically to get out of this situation or I was going to hit the thing. So I right. turned the wheel all the way to the right and took my <laughs> foot off the brake and it, the, the wheels caught and I just went zip right to the right. And it was the one place on that whole strip of grass where there was a telephone pole. And I just went <laughs> nose right into the telephone pole. Oh my God. <laughs> I was so, so happy you were okay. I was, and the but thing it, is it happens in slow motion, right? Yeah. I was, I was yelling at the telephone pole and I was trying cause I still couldn't, I, I couldn't like steer on this wet grass, mm-hmm. like out of what I'd gotten myself into. And if I pulled left, I was going to go back into the cars. If I pulled right, I was going to go into a rock wall. So it was like, <laughs> this is what I have chosen. You know, oh, I was lucky there wasn't, just like a, 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 a someone with like a stroller with a baby on the sidewalk there or something, right? right? I think about that all the time. Like I didn't have time to survey all that, 
But so everybody comes to a stop and the woman who I didn't hit had watched the whole thing go down and she knew that like it was I chose the pole over her car. <laughs> so she gets out and comes up and she's like, are you OK? I'm like, I'm fine. And then someone I know is behind me. They saw the thing go down. <laughs> so it was just brutal and I felt so bad. So it turns out that I was able to back the van out of there and pull off onto a side street and call you. Yeah. I was totally shaken and freaked out. Took some pictures of it, so I mean, I can put a picture of it. It's not. It wasn't even as bad in my mind. It was a horrific accident. It, it was pretty bad. Yeah, but it wasn't. I mean, yeah. the I, van was back on the road a few days later, right? Yeah, went straight into the shop and yeah, it cost yeah. money, which sucked. Yeah. <laughs> but so that was a. Uh, I had the thing that was horrible about that too is I had just been driving long enough that I felt comfortable that I knew what I was doing, and then <laughs> <Right>. boom. <laughs> I remember when you called me. I thought. I'm like, you have to be joking because like literally the insurance is like two hours ago went into effect or whatever it was. <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> Such a nightmare. That's no, just like, oh, Jesus. I, remember I have I, played that thing out. Every time I yeah. drive down there, I play it out in my head. Every time I creep yeah. slowly down that hill, mm-hmm. like I, I play the whole thing out in my head. And I'm like, there's nothing else I can do. I just can't well, believe I hit the one, the yeah. one stupid telephone. Well, and I remember you were, yeah. When you got to my place, you were super shaken up. I remember making you tea and like trying to call you. You made down. me tea. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, you're like, yeah. take the rest of the day off, man. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you ready to go back into it, bud? Come on, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was I was on my way to pick up a ride to the airport, like a yeah. nice pricey, like gonna make the day for me ride right. to the airport. It was, yeah. That was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> See, and that's another thing, man. With this model, woo, like the way the crown shifted now, it's so nice. Like everybody just makes money. Oh, it's nice. Yeah, I'm not coming back. Well, no. <laughs> like you're not invited <laughs> well, back, buddy. It's truly because <laughs> now you're not wrecking my new cars. <laughs> well, I mean, because I, I'm only hiring chauffeurs. Like yeah. I'm just giving out side work to chauffeurs. Oh, nice. Like you know, so it's like they're not, yeah, not just clocked in for twelve hours for Crown. See what I'm saying? So, I see. Oh, okay. So you'd have model. to be, you'd have to be doing <clears throat> yeah. other. You'd have to have other yeah, services yeah, you're working yeah, for. Yeah. You're just an independent contractor. Yeah. So. That's cool. cool. Well, yeah. so um, how do people? We're we're actually we're coming up on the end of it here. So if someone's in the Seattle area and they want mm-hmm. to they want to use one of the car services in the area, they mm-hmm. should obviously use your service. They of should course. use Black Crown. Yeah. How do they do that? Download the app Crown Car. Okay, it's Crown Car app in uh, Google or iTunes Store. Right, and if you just go to uh, you have the website, you can yeah blackcrowncar.com. Blackcrowncar.com, yeah. and you can yeah. get the app right off there. Yeah. Off the website or or in the app store or whatever. Okay. But yeah. And that's how you do it now. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways to get rides in Seattle, oh, but absolutely. that's that's yeah. the good way to do it. Yeah. And they might get you. Yeah. They might get me. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, before we go, man, um, you're playing music again. After yeah. all this time, yeah. you're back at it. Uh-huh. Tell me about your band. Uh, it's a band called Jaguar Paw. Um, again, old friends who kind of pulled and that literally pulled me into it but that's what pulled me into it um <clears throat> jason on drums jason revis on drums i played with him in the hit with matt from 1007 oh that's right we didn't and, even go into that that was like yeah. a that was like a return to almost like the 1007 yeah, it was style basically 1007 yeah um so and then uh his his lady uh heather on vocals and this Awesome dude, Damon on guitar. He's done some past stuff. He's from he lives in Olympia and travels to Ballard every week for practice. He's a warrior. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's a great, great, great uh, set of people in that band, and and uh, they practice walking distance from my house. And I said, well, 
if you guys move practice spaces, we might have to talk about me playing in this band. <laughs> but I think I'm a little I'm a little attached to it now, so I'd be there regardless. But it's it's great. It's like um it's hard to explain it. It's it's again in the poppy realm. Uh it seems like a lot of it tends to come off like as late seventies like pop punk with female vocals. But I mean, we kind of do what we want, and it, it seems to always come out as Jaguar Paw. It's just kind of uh, we're playing. We, we we just recorded in uh, Jupiter Studios for an EP um, that should be out. I think vocals are going down soon, and then it's gonna get mixed. Probably be out in a few weeks. How are you releasing online. it? On on our Bandcamp site, which I don't have the URL, but um, if you just Google, Jaguar Paw, yeah, Bang Jaguar Paw Bandcamp. If you don't put in the Bandcamp, you'll get Jaguar Paw, a South African uh, uh, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, not that's so we've not gotten you. a lot of likes on our facebook page from south africa so <laughs> that's pretty sweet like, we need to do a tour there and just bum everybody out right so, you know. but yeah that's that's exciting i'm super yeah we're playing oh i don't have the dates in front of me i want to say the 28th we're playing at daryl's in shoreline we're playing at slim's like that same weekend we're playing two shows in this upcoming so, month yeah, in may this month yeah like late this month so yeah, staying busy. It's super cool. Cool. Yeah. All but, right. Well, uh, so that's. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, it comes back around to music, right? Yeah. What? Uh, anything you want to say on the way out? Woo. Uh, no, man. This is a blast. I love it. <laughs> I'm definitely having fun with it. Yeah, I learned yeah. there was a lot of stuff about you that I did not know. I have been laboring under the impression that I had you kind of figured out. Oh wow! Like the, I, I just thought... we left out my awesome agnostic front story. No, tell it. Go agnostic front. We're gonna so, go back to the agnostic front story. When, one of the one of the biggest turning points in my life was when agnostic front had put out one voice, and Ron Gardapi was like, "Dude, you gotta go to this show. Let's go to the show." Blah blah blah. And I was, I was struggling in school. Like I think if I missed one more day, I was gonna get that. Uh, expelled and <laughs> which happened to me every year in school like I, did, I was terrible in school i just couldn't go i just hated it and so i'm like man if i go it's in bremerton if we go then i'm not gonna get back in time to go to school and i'm gonna miss it because i'm not a morning dude it's just i know my pattern and so he's like don't be a fucking pussy so we <laughs> i don't want to hear it you're going to the show yeah, so i remember getting in the car with him and I think Pettibone, he dragged Pettibone out too. Not that he had to drag anybody out to that show. But we go, and I'm like, fuck, man. So I remember sitting in the ferry, like listening, like we listen to the radio, and like, you know, Vanilla Ice was on. That was the era. And so listening to that. And uh, <clears throat> we get out to the show. Gnostic Front at Natasha's. They play Crucified twice. <laughs> Cause it's so such a great show, like and I just remember like like that's all the songs we got and like Vinny Stigma like I remember he's like let's just crucify it again like yeah <laughs> and like we all got on the stage and like just being a seventeen year old Soto with like Roger's arm around me like singing crucify like you know like everybody on the stage not just me but but man that was, it, that was nothing else mattered at that point that was full on hardcore mode right there that was it and then. Sure shit, I didn't go to school ever again after that. True story. <laughs> ever <laughs> again. Not even my fucking GED, nothing. <laughs> so you just you just went Thanks, Ron. <laughs> Ron Gardapi, once again, you're responsible. <laughs> I literally never went to school again. That's beautiful. All right. Yeah. That is a perfect way to take this show out, yeah. brother. 
That's it. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, how about that? Episode 11 of I've Known You Too Long is in the can. It's done. Soto Rebellus, good friend of mine for many years. I was stoked to have him here. I learned a lot about him that I had no idea about, and that's happening a lot on this show. But I think with Soto, it was surprising because I had an idea that I knew about Soto, and I, I had learned a lot. So um, I just keep repeating that. I learned a lot. But um, so I'm going to jump right to corrections. Uh, there are a couple. Um, I think we were off a bit on the years uh, that Balance of the World was playing. Pretty sure they were earlier, and that there was probably some overlap with 1007. I read something that said um, today that they were essentially 93 to 95. I think we were putting them a little further up. Um, and that, that may not be correct, but the more I think about it, the more it sounds right to me. Um, I believe the record they released was 94. So, um, that, you know, there could be a correction on that correction if someone wants to get in touch. Uh, you know, when Soto was talking about his kindergarten girlfriend, I restated it at one point as fifth grade girlfriend. And I'm just completely, you know, I think my head was just spinning from the stuff he was telling me. But I meant to say kindergarten girlfriend there. Um, so, I mean, I think that's clear from, from context. But just so you know, I know I made the mistake. I caught it. I screwed up. For the location of Time Travelers the place where Soda used to get his zines and I used to get records. It was a good old comic book and skateboard shop uh, downtown. Um, the parking lot is indeed gone now. They've built something up there. Uh, so that space is totally built up. So the block doesn't look the same as it used to. But Soda was right. The location was indeed a Doc Martin store. But that is gone as well. And I checked Google Street View, and it does verify whenever that picture was taken, the old awning is gone. You can't see the Time Traveler's lettering anymore, which is a super bummer, because that place was awesome. So, Time Traveler's is gone. Fallout is gone. All the old spots are gone. Singles Going Steady is still around in Belltown. You know, use it while we got it, people. That place is rad. Go in there and buy some records and some patches and some buttons and t-shirts if they have any and some videos and other cool stuff because you know this places don't last forever so um yeah if anybody wants to get in touch with anything about corrections anything about the episode um we've got an email address um attached to the uh, the website and that email address is nobody's knows dl at gmail.com dl that stands for doug lawless we're gonna make doug handle all the email um, he's an ornery bastard. He does nothing around here. He's supposed to be making these videos and he has, you know, we call it the proper way video series. And as of right now, he has exactly one. So it's not much of a series. So he's got to do something to earn his keep. Nobody's knows DL at gmail.com. Send us an email about anything. Ask us a question, comment, criticize, uh, you know, whatever you want, whatever information you want, Doug will get back to you. So, um, do that. Follow us on Twitter, at Nosy Nobody. Go to the website. Go to www.nobodiesnose.com. Check out all the stuff we're putting up on there. It is definitely more than the podcast. There's blog posts. I'm going to, very soon, I'm going to be listing a story about the skateboard shop that I owned when I was 16 years old. I've been writing out basically the history of it because I found some old negatives with some old photos and it inspired me to go through and just try to remember why we did that. So that's going to be going up soon. 
there's other funny stuff and I'm constantly planning to get new stuff up there and get some other people contributing. So, uh, and hopefully there's going to be another podcast different than this one before too long. Hopefully something that's going to make you laugh. So do all that. Please go to iTunes, give us that five-star rating, maybe give us a review, leave some kind words about us. Uh, that would be fantastic. Okay. Until next time. Thanks a lot. See you later. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris.